I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen and Dark of the Moon. B, I want to talk to you about the college thing, okay? I'm so excited! Hey, I'm not taking you with me. Look at this place! I feel smarter already! Can you smell it? Yeah, it smells like $40,000 a year. Hey, beautiful. Made you a long-distance relationship kid. I got your webcam so we can chat 24-7. Sounds cute. I can't wait. I just had a full-blown mental meltdown in the middle of my class. I'm seeing symbols. We've kept much from you, Sam. This isn't my war. I fear it soon will be. What you're about to see is top secret. Do not tell my mother. Any of these look like the symbols you saw? Where did you get these? Archaeologists found these unexplained markings in ancient ruins all over the world. They gotta mean something, like a message or like a map. Watch what's in my mind. I'm not gonna go without you. Fate rarely calls upon us at a moment of our choosing. First one is still okay. This one isn't. Here's why. I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Special guest, Neil Taylor from Gameburst. I'm getting too old for this shit. And Mike Hearn. Welcome for the first time to this show. What a doozy you picked of the webcomic WalterTheWicked.com. Wait, what's the phrase? Trial by fire? I, I think that's kind this of what I've This is gone trial through. by shit. <laughs> This is a movie designed solely for cartoon frat boys. And when I say cartoon frat boys, I mean frat boys that don't even exist, not frat boys that like watching cartoons. Anybody possessing an intellect higher than a Mars bar will be insulted or at least bored, or both in equal measure. The divide between this, possibly the lowest artistic ebb of the series, and the heights of the animated show Transformers Prime is like the difference between a Porsche and a poo. They're not telling a story. They're not building worlds. There is no expansion, no continuation, no fan service, no fun for kids. This is not the work of human beings. This is just a series of events that may as well have been thought up on the day of filming and randomly strung together in a one-day edit. I've got two questions before we go in, really. Um, 
And why? <laughs> I've forgotten the first one because my brain has started to, to solidify. The, the second was, what is wrong with me? I was just speaking to Lyra about this. I chose to do this. I chose to watch these films again. I chose to review them and drag you guys on to do so. This is the most horrible, horrible film I've ever had to review. This makes Alien vs. Predator Resurrection, sorry, Requiem, look well-managed and short. It's a loud mess of explosions and scenes and stuff. And the comedy, the unrelenting... Sorry? Comedy! Sorry, sorry, you were saying this comedy and it implies that there was something funny. I was doing this, but you can't hear me doing that. <laughs> is, it, is it comedy when it's forced? I mean, I, I think there's, there's something missing in the definition there. The, okay, this was written during the writer's strike, right? Which seems like a, a, a contradiction in terms. <laughs> uh, I, was it? I didn't know that. Uh, well, this film was being made during the writer's strike. Yeah, they uh, stepped in to do some of the writing duties on it. I know that Orsi and Kurtzman were joined by Aaron Kruger, who went on to write the third and then the fourth on his own. Oh, I hate that man so much. So, so much. He is a really, really terrible writer. Yeah. I, I think... I think I think I'm most astonished that I've never spoken to anybody who likes this film. And yet everyone went back for the third. And people are going back for the fourth. For the record, I'm breaking my rule. I ain't gonna... I'm not. I'm not. You're I've not? read... I'm not going back for the fourth. I'm Currently, not. it's at 18% um, on Rotten Tomatoes. It was at 17% yesterday, but now I think the front lash is happening. And people are going and saying, ah, these stuffy critics... Oh, I've remembered my first question. This is all just big, dumb fun. Right. Is this film big, dumb fun? It's got well, the it's first big. two. <laughs> it's certainly dumb. Yep. Well, what is big, dumb fun? Because Pacific that's Rim. the excuse. Yep. No, no. No, no, no. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love that movie, and I wouldn't necessarily classify it as dumb, but I think it would fit most people's definition in that regard. Okay, as in people might just sort of assume that it's dumb because uh, it doesn't wear its intelligence like straight up on its sleeve. It doesn't start quoting Proust at you and saying <laughs> how clever I am. Yeah, exactly. okay, that's fair enough. How about one we, you kept referencing on the last episode? Avengers. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not, against, I, not in dumb. I, I think your average person wouldn't even consider Avengers dumb. Big and fun, but not dumb. It was... Uh, because, I mean, that, uh, that tends to be what people say about these films when they're making excuses. They tend to, like, the critics who give these films positive reviews, the, uh, the, the ones who actually get paid for it, uh, I'm not saying that they're, they're better or worse than uh, enthusiast critics. In fact, a lot of the time, they're far less trustworthy for me. They tend to say, you know, if you like Transformers films, you'll like this. Now, obviously, a certain chunk of society really does like Transformers films. Where are these people? I've never heard from anyone who liked this second film. Where are these people? Give me their address. I shall shoot them. Don't, don't hurt people. I know <laughs> well, this film makes you want to there's about a billion of them, apparently. Well, so they're you hurting themselves. <laughs> when, when I came out of the first one, and I'm a, I'm a pretty big Transformers fan, like, I grew up with it. They, they're right in my age range. And I gave the first one a pass at the time on that measurement that big dumb fun measurement i thought you know what it, it kind of disappointed me in a lot of ways but it was big dumb fun and i will go to a movie 
that looks like pure entertainment. Uh, so I went to the second one based on that justification and it wrecked me. Like it just <laughs> destroyed me. They, the, I, I did not see the third in the theaters. I, I let it sit on Netflix. We, we had it on Netflix here in Canada for, oh God, it's got to have been three months before I finally broke down and thought, you know what? Maybe I should watch this for free before it disappears. And while it was not nearly as offensive as this one, I still, that, that is time. That's just, I, I watched it get, eaten by scarabs. It was just horrid. <laughs> to quote Futurama, you watched it, you can't, can't watch it. <laughs> I can go through my short list of the good. It'll Actually, take- I just thought of something that is probably big dumb fun. Yeah. But you can't argue. Fast and Furious. Yeah, it is. The fourth one wasn't much fun. but the the- fourth one, Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm a fan of that franchise. And even I get the fourth one's a bit... First yeah. one's fun, fifth one's fun, sixth one I haven't seen. No, no, actually, sixth one I've seen a bit, is it fun? Okay. Third, oh, second one's fun, third one's fun. So the second one's dumb. Yes, <laughs> but can you tell me it is not fun? Uh, I don't know, it's more fun than this. Yeah. I've never <laughs> seen them, but I'm, I'm taking that as a recommendation based on what we just watched. It's more car porny as well, you know? This one, actually, there seemed to be a lot less of, whoa, look at this car. Yeah. Yeah, there was not yeah. It was there was more Whoa, look at these fighter jets and this boat and this this railgun that doesn't exist. Look at it. Oh, army military good fun. Uh, oh, and these only the Ameri- clad women. <laughs> <laughs> and only the American military is good. Anybody else military comes in and they're taken out in 3 seconds. Uh, look, by the way, let me let me tell you what the uh, Egyptian border patrol loves. Americans. <laughs> they love us. <laughs> I'm an honorary American. Okay, let me just go through the good. It won't take long. Nest was a good premise. I yes. like the idea of uh, tran- the, the Autobots hunting the Decepticons around the world uh, with uh, the aid of uh, like a black ops team of American like subcontracted military. That is a film in itself, and they 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 did it for like half a minute, and then it got boring. So we got half a minute, and now let's have some explosions and big giant robot in the air. And they just cut an Audi in half. I didn't even know if that was a Decepticon. Maybe there was a guy in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not... Well, no, it was a Decepticon because it transformed because it crashed, crashed through the building. All right. Okay, that's all right then. Yeah, that... Oh, no, that's a bad point. Sorry. No, okay, really good. Yeah, the, the Autobots didn't crash through anything. Oh, wait. <laughs> Frank Welker came in like for the, he wasn't in the first one but obviously since he voiced all the Decepticons including Megatron Soundwave uh, Starscream Frenzy in the original uh, G1 cartoon he came in to voice Soundwave and Starscream in this one so and he was doing Dr. Claw with his Soundwave like Decepticons attack that kind of uh, voice it almost sounded to me like he was trying to use his voice to make Soundwave's distortion that's mm. that's how I took it. Or, or just like to bring the G1 back to the Transformers series. He's like watching the first film going, well, that doesn't really feel like what we would have been doing. Okay, let's just bring it, shall we? Um, and Starscream, as I said, was briefly characterized in this one. He's barely in the first one, but at least in this one, he's like, oh, mighty Megatron. Or, and yeah, like for about 60 seconds, maybe. Yeah, that was all right. And... Um, when Optimus was killed in effigy of the Transform- the real Transformers movie from 1986, um, which I'm liking more and more as I edit the podcast together as we speak. Um, not, not literally as we speak. Uh, editing while podcasting, that's something I haven't mastered yet. Uh, <laughs> but, the you know, where Optimus dies, 
I wasn't really sad because of the way it was filmed or the proceedings of it. I was just sad because that was it from him for the rest of the film. Also, you knew he was coming back. Well, I didn't know the first time I saw it, but... uh, Oh, no, even I went... uh, Because he wasn't even halfway through the damn film. You're like, they've killed Optimus Prime. Fiber says he's alive by the end. That's just so they don't have to do it in the third film. Mm. Um, And... uh, I think I mentioned this one before on the Spy- Amazing Spider-Man 2 podcast. Like, if, if that was, if Bob Orsi didn't say, you know, let's just kill him and then bring him back in one film rather than stretching it over two, uh, then I'd be very surprised because he did something very similar in the second Star Trek film. Mm. Say what? And, uh, <laughs> uh, yep. And kind of, uh, rushed another certain rather important c- scenario in the Amazing Spider-Man sequence. And uh, so, yeah, I was meta-sad about that because then after that, the film had nothing. And I really do mean the film had nothing. That was my good list. Anybody else got anything to add to that? Um, I quite liked the idea of the um, Transformers having been there for a very, very long time and the first human perception of them being Mm. as gods. Uh, If you look at the design on some of the primes you can see how pharaoh headdresses could have been stylized on them yeah Um, and that uh, the shot of one of them getting humans to build the pyramids yeah that was it that that was it that was the only thing there wasn't anything else about it that i liked would you say that primitive humans seeing the these giant sort of space farers as gods is a little bit like star trek into darkness a little bit yeah Mm-hmm. I thought it was just ripping off Stargate, but yeah, well, no, of course it's all well, true. I, I'm not even suggesting for a second that this was in any way original, but I it, it, it led to up, interesting ideas. It did, and I thought there's actually somewhere they can go with this, and then they didn't failed completely to go anywhere with it. Also, this isn't a good point, but uh, it's, it relates to another movie. The whole hand over the boy or your planet dies—that's like the subplot of Man of Steel in the middle, yep. which retroactively makes this, makes Man of Steel somehow worse. <laughs> because like, you, you cribbed from Transformers Revenge of the Fallen? <laughs> they did what? it. I, I'm going to say they did it better oh, of course, in yeah, Man of yeah. Steel. Yeah, of course they did. they did. They did everything better in Man of Steel. Man, this film makes Man of Steel look like Citizen Kane! Oh, God, yes. Robot spider and all. Um, I've got an enormous list of the bad. Like, it's literally just a blow-by-blow blow of everything in the film. Just, like, one event after the other. So, but, you know, I don't even know how to frame this other than just... Uh, look, this film does not deserve us to talk about every single bit. No. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> deserve our time. It doesn't deserve the listener's time. Everyone listening either has seen it and knows it's shit and doesn't really want to be reminded... Uh, or, or maybe just might le- need a few things sort of recrystallizing, so it's like, oh yeah, that bit really was shit, and now I can remember why it was shit. So that—that's our our duty, I suppose. If we could just sort of crystallize for people just some some really awful bits that they go, oh yeah, I remember. That's why Revenge of the Fallen is a piece of shit. That way, if they ever get the feeling like, oh, maybe I should watch Revenge of the Fallen again, it's like, no, 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 no. Come back, listen to this review. And then you remind yourself why it sucks. It'll be much shorter, I promise. Or if you ever have the idea of reviewing them yourselves, listen yeah. to us. Yeah, you don't yeah, need to review this film. Don't waste your time. There's no point. <laughs> the uh, the only thing that I would add in the positives, and it's only a positive with a huge caveat, 
the parents, I, I enjoy them. They don't belong in this movie, but they actually make me laugh, which is stupid, but it's true. I feel the need to dissect you now. <laughs> Be human. Very deep into my bad pit. They, oh, they, they, they are some of the worst things. In this Don't get me wrong. This is, this is not where they should be, but for whatever reason, they actually make me laugh. Mm. There was a bit, actually, where uh, the dad, you know, the, the house is being beset by those little droids at the beginning, and the, the dad's going, oh, God, we're under attack. And I'm like, yeah, remember that bit when you were doing this exact same thing in Small Soldiers? Yeah? That was like training camp for this. Actually, no, <laughs> they, they, they had one good bit, I think, towards the end of the film. I'll give them that what was the... where they thought Sam was dead I thought okay yeah oh yeah they did a bit of acting yeah they actually acted and I thought actually no that, that's good I like that that's I technically yeah actually to give them credit Megan Fox actually gave a little bit of like you know she actually seemed again what, you know because of the conversation we had about the last episode watching her more closely this time she I want to see her actually in something where they don't go look it's a gorgeous woman it's like let, let's actually let her act and see how well she does mm. There'll be a lot of people out there who hate Megan Fox going, you're fucking crazy. But seriously, look at the slim pickings we're working with here, folks. She did a pretty good job in Jennifer's body, mainly because she was parodying the look Mm. a sexy girl thing. Yeah. Mm. I really really want to see a take on a serious role. I think she could be a fairly competent... You know, I don't think she's going to be like a Jodie Foster or anything, but I think she can be fairly reasonable and and can be quite entertaining. The only other film I've seen her in is... Jonah Hex. Oh, God, yeah, Jonah Hex. Oh, that was awful. We're going to miss her for three, I think. We're going to miss her for three. Oh, you do miss her for three. That's, that's not even a joke. See, I think, considering what they do in three, I might hate three even more, but we'll we'll see, shall we? We'll see. It'll be a nice, fun surprise. I mean, she her, her script and her dialogue was foul and appalling in this one as well but she did at least continue with that thread of what Neil brought up for the first one where she's actually getting involved in the action. She did a lot more shrieking and covering her head in this one but she is kind of there when danger is threatening, refusing to take the safe option and and go and hide and wanting to to stick with it through the whole thing and being brave and sacrificing and standing up for something and all of the things that Sam gets highly praised for and told it's his destiny at the end will you fuck off and just Again, Michaela should be the hero of this franchise (laughs) I'd actually say if you watch her during the smaller, quieter moments uh, or scenes where she's just meant to be background, she's She's actually acting and trying, you know, doing a really good job of either showing concern or fear, just little moments. I think she's she does the best she can with what she's got. It would have been really sweet if she'd been able to uh, act through the shitty dialogue and make it clear that all of the sexy, sexy, cutie, cutie bits that she does, which seems so totally out of character with a leather-wearing, uh, motorbike-riding, car-fixing... Tomboy. Tomboy, exactly. Um, that she was doing all that with her tongue firmly in her cheek and purely because she knew that it would get the response that she wanted from the inexplicably testosterone-driven robots. Um, right. You know what? If John Malkovich can't act through the crap, I don't think she stands a chance. Yeah, is <laughs> that is a fair point. Is John Malkovich in the third one? Yes. Oh, my God, I've forgotten that. I knew Tim Robbins was in it. Francis McDormand in Yes. And Wash. Yeah, Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. 
God, I've, I've blotted so much of this third one out. Right, okay. Uh, d- Before I go into my enormous bullet-pointed list, has anyone got any, like, serious axes to grind with this? You mean apart from the racism? The blatant, horrible, yeah. stereotypical... That's on the list. Continuous. <laughs> it's on the list, but that doesn't mean you can't cover it now if you don't want to. If, if you it's want just... to, like, just go for it. Oh, I mean... Jazz was was bad in the first one. I mean, it was like what the hell? But but the t- the twins are oh, fucking hell. Really? Have we? They are some of my favourite actors ever. Are black? You've got guys like James Earl Jones, Idris Elba. Yet we are falling back on this horrible, depressing stereotype, and it's just. Oh, I feel dirty. I actually feel dirty because of the twins. It's just like, and then you sit around, and bear in mind, I watched this in the fucking cinema, and there is people laughing at them, and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Whoa, 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 whoa. okay, I'm not even with you guys. Technically, I'm like a hostage. This is kidnapping. Enough is- Yow, lay out! This thing's gonna give me a heart attack, I swear. That's cause you the worst. You forced me into that car, right? So. Boy, I think he's scared. Hey, Mudflap. What are we gonna do with this shrimp taco? No, I'm just bumper capping his ass, throwing me the truck, and then nobody gonna know nothing, not me. Not in my trunk. Your bumper car? Check it out. I'm hearing you, okay? I'm right here, and I can hear you. No one's popping any caps in any asses, okay? I've had a hell of a day. Why don't you get a haircut with your bitch ass? Go whine to your boyfriend. Put it like this, when you're watching Transformers Prime and you listen to Kevin Michael Richardson embodying Bulkhead, you can tell that technically if Bulkhead was a human being, he would be black because of the way... Is that racist? Because he's voiced by Kevin Michael, Richardson, voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, an enormous, <laughs> charismatic black man. That That's done in a way that's not so overt that they're like, ah, ah, he's black. No, see, no. You see you the teeth, you see the that. ears, you see the You whole... don't think of Bulkhead like that. You just think Bulkhead is awesome. I get to be your bodyguard for once. How cool is that? Raph, I'm the first one here, right? Did you just scream like a little girl? No. Maybe. Can we talk about this later? Seriously, Doug. They are characterized in ways we have seen urban caricatures characterized in live action before. If you took their facial features and rendered them into a cartoon caricature with the enormous ears and the enormous lips and the gold tooth, the we don't like reading, if you stuck that into a cartoon, just good luck trying to get that released in cinemas and making $800 million, because you would have (coughs) fucking lawsuits. But for some reason, because it's they're robots and they're green and they're red, it's okay. And no one's going to notice. Same as no one noticed that Jar Jar Binks wasn't actually a Rastafarian. Was uh, was with the names of one of the twins, they, they were Skids and Mudflap, Mudflap. right? Mudflap was, what, is... what, was that, like, God, was that intentional? Because, God. As it happens, the uh, the guy playing Mudflap is, uh, is black. The guy playing Skids... Doing, let's not mince words, blackface. It's Tom Kenny, which won't mean anything to most people. But if you know your voiceover artist, this guy is a, like a huge player in the voiceover scene and very white. At what point during the voicing session did the vocal director say, play it like this? And did Tom Kenny say, you're all right? 
I want to see the exact discussion there. People will do anything for a paycheck. I'm going to see what else Tom Kenny has uh, done. He's SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, God. Proof that you will do anything for money, I suppose. We're going to get a lot of these these terrible yeah. sullen silences, aren't we? Where we're all just like again. I mean, I wasn't. I'm not exaggerating. I, I feel exactly the same as I did coming out of the theater the first time, except that this time I chose. Like I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> Right, um, we've already talked about this for half an hour. I'd say that's like the sudden death time. Sudden death. Okay. Right, I have one other thing that I wanted to say that I really didn't like about it. This, I mentioned when we were reviewing the first one that there wasn't a great deal of grown men acting like grown men. They were all acting like just cardboard cutout adolescents and... Mm-hmm. running around waving guns at people i apologize for that i take that back because it seems like they were trying to redress that a little bit in this one by having people saying every five minutes don't be a girl don't be a pussy be a man man mm. up don't be a wimp uh it, just generally throwing it out there that you are expected to have stiff upper lip and accept the horrible, terrible things that are going on around you at all times. Otherwise, we take away your balls and your man card has to get handed in. And all of those other stupid, ridiculous, stereotypical things that reinforce this idea that men only come in one shape and style. And he's putting it next to the idea that women only come in one shape and style. Literally, all the girls at that college look exactly the same, except they have different coloured hair. And so do the three holographic girls on the... the Transformer motorbikes. The three identical female Transformer RC Alita something and Cronia or whatever her name was. Yeah, but it's like Michael Bay can only see one type of female and all other women are invisible to him. And now he's trying to do this same thing with there's only one type of man and all other types of men are sissies and pussies and can fuck off. And millions, billions these films have made and it makes me so cross. Do you know at the beginning of Bad Boys when those guys are trying to hustle Mike Lowry out of his uh, Porsche and they uh, get a girl to walk across the road so that they can get their attention and then carjack them? One of them says to the girl, titty, titty, strutty, strutty. Is that how Michael Bay directs? Yes. Very likely. Right. I'm going to go through the bullet-pointed list and I'm going to see if I can get this done in ten minutes. Because I am done with this film. My okay. list. Wow. Okay. Deep breath. Iron Hyde is explicably English. Didn't notice that. He is. Do you want huh. a piece of me? More parental embarrassment. Fucking dogs times two. Leary yep. shots of Megan Fox and that Terminatrix. She has like a tail that comes out from just above her panties, which we get to see. Thank you very much. Tiny little fucking gremlin robots with enormous firing dick guns that fart fire. At least two gags where someone runs into a wall and hits their head. I'm surprised they only got to two. Bumblebee now can't speak again, even though he resolved that at the end of the first film. And now his junky on style sampling of people's speech, a lot of which seem to be Tom Hanks, is now just annoying. 
an impromptu, unwarranted, and entirely uncomfortable striptease from Megan Fox at the beginning. The line, if God made us in his own image, who made him, referring to Optimus Prime. Just so many head slaps. Starscream drools lubricant. They all drooled All the Decepticons did that. Yep. No reason. Just, it's extra business. Bumblebee cries it. Yep. And spits it. Let's not forget that he weed it all over uh, uh, Simmons. Simmons in the first one. So why and did the- he not now run out of lubricant? Got a lot of it. He also spunks it all over that girl in the car and then smashes her face against the dashboard. That she turns out to be a Terminatrix later is by the by. It's like he was trying to kill her. He was simulating a car crash. He was turning into Christine there. Yeah. Yeah! (laughs) The awful... God, I could have been watching Christine. That would have been so much better. Any of the Fast and the Furious films. The awful pot brownie skit. What the fuck was that even doing in a family film? Stupid college full of stupid idiots. 21 Guns by Green Day played three times in the space of a few minutes and then yet again at the end credits. I don't want to hate that song. I don't want to hate Green Day, but now I hate Green Day. That's just a good thing. Megatron breathes underwater and in space. Transformers don't breathe. The Decepticons talk English now, apparently. The idiot scriptwriter's take on an education in physics. It's almost like they're saying, hey, all you frat boys out there, college is bullshit, isn't it? And all of you guys out there who can't afford to go to college or don't go to college on purpose, college is bullshit, isn't it? I Also, if you're a college professor, you can flirt with your students in front of the, the what do they call it, dean? The, dean. Uh, the head of the Why college. Why is the dean in the class? No introduction to that at all. They don't say it at the beginning of the, sp- of the scene. He just says, you're making me look like an idiot in front of the dean. Why is she just randomly sitting in on his class? I'm going to go ahead and say that Rain Wilson is one of the top 100, maybe in the top 50 funniest people walking the planet. What the fuck was he doing in this film not being funny at all for two minutes? Off. Being a really creepy college teacher. Really, really, really creepy. The last Mimsy was better. The stupid spy bot thing named Wheelie, who was the Decepticon. Michaela grabs him. He goes, oh, get off me. And she immediately burns his eye out with a blowtorch. And he call, it calls her a bitch. And Warrior Goddess at one point as well. And, no, twice. Warrior, uh, and it humps her ankle. And it humps her ankle. Right? It could have been an Autobot. She, she burns its eye out because it's obnoxious. She hasn't yet met the twins. To be fair, it had red eyes. No Autobot has red eyes. Oh, that's all right then. Yeah, that's that's, that's my logic there. That's 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 probably more thought than they did. Then she takes it, you know, bouncing around inside a little tin case on an internal flight on an aeroplane within America post 9-11. No, no, no. Especially not after a logged terrorist attack from giant insectoid mechanical aliens. I, I love how, too, every robot in this movie can only be damaged by the plot. The amount of damage <laughs> is can only occur with the plot because they you see them get ripped to shreds and in to the next shreds scene, you say. But <laughs> in the next scene they're perfectly fine unless the plot dictates otherwise. Yes, one of them gets eaten by devastator for 
fuck's sake, and he's fine. All that they shit. cheered that bit, and he was fine. How dare he be fine? I would say that is not Devastator. It doesn't look like any Devastator I know. Uh, Only care, but he had one of them, and they survived. Pathetic roommate, Leo, in the whole film, the most... Uh, he was more annoying than Shia LaBeouf. And my God, was Shia LaBeouf annoying in this film. Yes, yes. He was doing a like a, a comedy take on uh, uh, OCD and and like a you know somebody in dire need of Ritalin or the, actually, you know somebody who the American pharmaceutical system would consider is in dire need of Ritalin. I think he was trying to be uh, John Leguizamo. Did I get his Did I get his first name right? The oh God, that, yeah. I think that's who he was trying to be. Or also frenzy in the first film, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, this is uh, the, at this point in the film, I just wrote down too much shit happening too fast for me to log, and yet the film goes on for seven hundred and eighty-six hours. Yeah, at one point I paused this film again to do something, and I, my tweet was, "There's still a fucking hour." That was when the uh, wheelie was humping the leg. That's exactly when I paused it, when I just yeah. had enough. And That's I was like, the- it's still a fucking hour. One whole fucking hour left. <laughs> uh, oh. Enough. Um, the, the bit where Megatron tries to take like the, the, in, the information out of Sam's brain with a saw. The human brain doesn't work like that. It's it's like that bit in Zoolander where they go, the file is in the computer. It's like a comedy bit. This was the point, by the way, where it was just this endless fucking fight and chase scene that led up to the point of uh, Optimus's death. I turned off the sound and just put on some Skrillex instead. It was better just listening to dubstep because that's carefully organized noise. <laughs> At least I have faith that the person who put that together has some idea of structure. And I don't like dubstep normally. Okay, so what else don't I know, right? Since you guys forgot to mention some minor details, huh? The thing you saw back there, that was a little baby. Oh! Oh! oh my god! Oh my god! Can't tell if dubstep or Transformers having sex. <laughs> I've never seen that one. Dubstep better to, to listen to than Transformers. It, it, it's it, it, it's sure. that squinty one involving Fry staring at something. Ah, yes. I, uh, I quite enjoy those ones. Ah, that's another thing. The concept of Transformers having sex, not outright stated, but the prime that they find in the Smithsonian refers to his mother and his father. Good point. My Very father good. was the fir- first wheel. Do you know That's what he weird. transformed into? Nothing, but he did it with honour. Yeah. What? Um, doesn't one of them in Transformers 3 have enormous bollocks as well? That was devastator in this one, I am directly. Well, the, the uh, Terminatrix one has boobs. Yes. In her the three motorbikes. She's trying to emulate a human being. 
a hot girl. No, no, no. Even after she's turned into the the robot version of herself, yeah. she has big circular areas on her chest, yeah. and the three uh, motorbike transformers become wide unicycles. They're like. Yeah, they're, <laughs> Like RC, they are painted in a manner that makes it appear they are wearing bikinis. I, I didn't get a good look at them. Tell me they didn't put the headlights there. Uh, they may have done. Oh, God. At they one were moving point... too fast for me to tell, which is a good way of summing up most of this movie. Yeah. All the This is after I saw Pacific Rim, uh, and it's, it, Pacific Rim makes the Transformers films seem so bad now. Like, Pacific Rim and Avengers... But they literally have everything that people considered to be good and worth going to see about the Transformers films was in Pacific Rim plus tons more. Yeah. Why didn't a billion dollars get sunk into Pacific Rim? Because for some reason people wanted to see Grown Ups 2. Yeah. You know what? Fuck only, at only least Americans. a million dollars worth of people. Yeah. <laughs> only Americans, guys, which none of us are. So we're all good with that. Uh, yeah, we're okay with that. Okay, the, the point I was starting to make there was that all the bots move in exactly the same way. Not one of them has a distinctive movement pattern that you're like, well, that's obviously... Like, if any one robot was moving in silhouette in, like, a stick figure, you couldn't tell which was which. Probably just one mocap actor. Yeah. Um, and they have no weight and no motion to, to them. Mm-hmm. There's no sense of, of, of anything actually moving. Um, it, it's just a, a metal mess. And so, bye-bye Optimus. Now, here are the twins for the rest of the movie. These disgusting racist stereotypes. And at this point, I actually, like, tears hit my eyes. Because I was like, this is... And it wasn't like my, this wonderful license laid low. It was just like, I can't believe I'm watching this. I can't believe this made $800 million. I can't believe people came back. It did. <sighs> So they go to Simmons and his, his deli, which... I'm broken. Jetfire. His performance reminded me of Nightmare. Do you remember the uh, the, the, the thing with the helmet and the walk yeah. forward sidestep? You know when you meet, they, they meet the people who do like very eccentric theatrical performances to guide them through the dungeons... Yep. The sort of performance that Jetfire hands in would be acceptable and even kind of fun for Nightmare. And I'm sure it made the Americans, like, slap their thighs and, oh, what a fun British performance. But it's just so, it so put me out of, like, there was nothing, I was, wasn't even in the picture anyway, but all I could picture was the actor performing. Well, you didn't even know, I'm front of, in front of you, sat on a bench or something, there's a man that looks like a monk, and by the side of him there's a table. Warming team, a life force energy level is low. Simon is in no condition for combat. This is a level two malignant. Losing here would be fatal. Hell to you, dog's bottom! (laughs) Listen, adventuring car. I guard these halls. Face me, or the right path is closed to you. Pause and games. Show yourself. Suffer my infinite wrath. Little spinal cord-based organisms. Buggery. Behold. 
behold the eternal glory of Gia Now listen, team. Level two guards are notoriously rude and vulgar, but cannot attack you until you fail to answer their riddles. Simon, you must challenge him by saying, I challenge. The only way that would have worked if they'd got Brian Blessed to do it. Yeah. Although, to be fair, Jetfire (laughs) did get the one genuine laugh out of me. When he farted a parachute? No, when he said bollocks, because I just thought that was funny. (laughs) Bollocks. It's just the way he said it was quite... You said it, Mr. Fire. Michaela wakes up on Leo's crotch for no reason except... The exposition dump. That yeah. gets laid on them at this point by Jetfire is similar to the level of sheer bollocks that exists within the Scientology doctrine. That was the, that was the second exposition dump to boot. The first one was with the uh, military suit guy. Oh, yeah. Where he basically recapped the entire first movie. Were the humans of any use in this, apart from just taxiing Optimus Prime's body from one place to the next? And since Jetfire can teleport, he could probably have done that too. Really? Were the humans of any use at any point in this film? The, the military, that is. No, because after the, like I said last time, after get used to that, like, that bit where they were actually useful in the first one, because they're never useful again. Mm. The nest, who is set, which we already said was a good idea, you know, an interesting idea, an interesting place to take it, gets his ass kicked the first time we see it. They fuck up. Because they run into weird crane Decepticon Transformer thing that, I mean, the body count in Shanghai, fuck. The the body count in this movie was higher in the first five minutes than it was in the 300. Yeah. The crowbarring in of the Matrix, they may as well just have called it the other spark. It doesn't matter what that thing's called, they just called it the Matrix. Not that I'm desperately trying to preserve the sanctity of the original chronology, but it's just like, right, well, you've done the Matrix, now you can't do it again. (laughs) The... uh, the thing that boggled me about that, and it, it, this is where the fanboyism comes in. What, he there put the Matrix a, in a sock? Well, <laughs> no, there's a key. They refer to it as a key the entire time. There is a key in Transformers lore. It's the it, key of Vector Sigma. Well, yep. it, it's, it's, I think, it's, it, to my knowledge, it's the only key. Just use the one that's <laughs> called a key. <laughs> I, I can't. Ah. Because they, basically this one, they were trying to sort of remake the Transformers 1986 movie. Because people sort of remember Optimus Prime dying. And then they sort of remember, oh, didn't he come back to life in the cartoon? Yeah, we're going to put it together in this film for you. And there was a Matrix or something, so let's stick that one in there. People are basically, they figured people would look up from their coke if they, were, they went, Matrix, Matrix? Oh, oh. Speaking of Matrix, the bit where that probe thing crawls inside Sam's mouth... <laughs> Is from the Matrix. Yeah. Meanwhile, Hugo Weaving's actually bearing down on him going, this is very familiar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish Megatron had said something like that, because it was done so better in the Matrix as well. Of course, everything was done better in the Matrix. Everything was done better in the Matrix revolutions than yes. this. Oh, God, yes. Aye. The targeted EMP... Speaking of Matrix revolutions, when EMPs go off... In Matrix Revolutions, it fucks all the machinery around it. They even make it a plot point where they're like, we, you set off the EMPs too early, now we're defenseless. A Decepticon sets off an EMP or something. They, they call it an EMP. Um, that, that but no, it's, it makes a noise. It, That's it, all it does. It makes a noise and suddenly the radios don't work and they explain by, oh, it was an electromagnetic pulse. Why don't they just say it was a jammer? If the, the fact that they say it's an EMP, it's like, well, isn't... 
Isn't the Transformer also going to be disrupted by this EMP? It's a pulse. It's not a ray. It's a pulse. But but they're aliens, Alex. They don't work like we understand. <sighs> Yet they urinate and stuff. And do the scriptwriters <laughs> on the audience. The Constructicons merge to form an ugly, shitty mess. Sam's parents appear as if from nowhere, for no reason other than to have them there. Anyway, endless, tedious, robot versus robot versus American military versus screaming civilian battle that takes forever, goes on forever, and doesn't ever end, ever. And it only gets worse in the third one. Sam is told by Bulkhead that he's the most special human whatever lived, and it's his destiny to unite the something, despite the fact that he's a worthless, irritating little shit. Oh, and it only gets worse from here as well. There is... Again, Michaela should be the freaking hero. Why why is there even a human hero necessary? That's the one thing that I've never been able to do. Exactly. Yeah. In a film called Transformers. Focus on the robots. Bring back Hot Rod. (laughs) They have him bring back Optimus, and then the fallen Tony Todd turns up and goes, Yoink! (laughs) Takes the Matrix. Yeah. And then Jetfire goes, oh, I'm so ruddy impressed by that. Have my parts. What follows is basically then, pimp my prime. Buy <laughs> the even bigger toy, kids. Prime flies off, says, let's roll in a kind of a sort of a, a side way. Not in a kind of like, zoom on in his face. Let's roll. Just in a kind of, I'll oh, just have him say that. And it reminded me that after he's given his speech in the first one, free will is the right of all sentient beings. And like, you know, he's like, transform and roll out. As he says that, Jazz goes, yo, let's roll. Or something like, just like this, this pathetic, like, like stepping on his speech. And he's like, shut up, Jazz. I'm glad they kill you in two seconds. So yeah, he just, Prime then just goes and fucks up the Fallen. That's it. He just goes, fights him, fucks him up because he's more powerful. That's it. He's, what, 5,000 Super Saiyan. <laughs> I think you meant Super Saiyan, over, but okay. 9,000. He's over 9,000. That's the one. Sorry, I forgot the meme. <laughs> Sorry. You know, that, that part bugged me way more than it should have just because, probably because of the whole movie, but I, I had zero tolerance for him saying, let's roll and then flying. That, that <laughs> like, no. Time to fly. <laughs> Something that has eluded the Autobots since the dawn of time. Hell, something that eluded them. It was an actual plot point in the cartoon that they went and actually made Transformers that could fly. The aerial bots. Yep. Which never made any sense, though, because they actually flew from day one. Did Bumblebee kill Devastator? No, the railgun did. That's the You ask what the U.S. military did? That's what they did. They killed oh, okay. Devastator in one shot. Yay. One shot, no scope. <laughs> And then, at the very end, there's a rushed, flubbed, copycat ending of the original, including the message from Prime to Who Cares, and a note-for-note, copy-paste, Linkin Park song, aping the first film for no reason other than to synthesize the sense of satisfaction that we left the cinema with the first time so that we might come back again. And it must have worked, because everyone came back for the third, and they brought one half of a friend with them each.
Now me. I went back. I'm so sorry. Can I apologize again for the fact that I have seen all three films in the cinema? And, and then you really sorry. And then 21 Guns again. Do you know what's worth Anybody got anything to add to that? Thank the fuck th- it's over. <laughs> I'm serious. Now? I mean, I, I, I got ragey about certain elements in like Alien vs. Predator Requiem. There's the, we all know there was a certain bit that really pissed me off in that film. Women are not tubes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, but I can't even say this one makes me angry anymore. It just makes me despair. Despair at the fact we that this was a success, the fact it got made, the fact that people go and say, it's okay, it's big. We have to stop that. I think we really have to stop the whole, it's big, dumb fun, it's okay, it doesn't have to be smart. We got really good blockbuster films that were intelligent. Look at Christopher Nolan's Inception. Mm. Mm. That was a blockbuster action film that was not dumb. A little hard to follow in places, I'll get, I'll, I will admit that, but it wasn't dumb. It wasn't the level of this. This is, this is drooling on your shoes, stupid. <laughs> You are made of stupid. Let's 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 find some positives on it, shall we? The positive reviews. Well, any, anyone, I'll, I'll look for positive reviews. It's going to take me a while. Anybody else oh, want to talk about this film? The only oh. thing I wanted to say, I just had this one thing written down. The uh, at the end there, when Prime is giving his his usual speech, most people say, you know, I could listen to X read the phone book. I would really rather listen to Peter Cullen read the phone book than anything he said in this movie ever again. Aaron A. Aronson. <laughs> this I movie read... is like the play date from hell, the kind where a crew of children reduce your home to rubble and conduct endless bouts of loud war in the living room floor while you ponder the propriety of opening a bottle of wine. <laughs> Mary F. Poles from Time Magazine. That was a positive review? That was a negative review. I had a I had a pretty excellent time, says Dave White of Movies.com. Checks in the mail. Built from the ground up to be a popcorn-devouring, eye-popping, nostalgia-sparking crowd-pleaser, says Ali Gray from theshiznit.co.uk. <sighs> it's frustrating that if Transformers 2 took itself a little more seriously, it might just have blown audiences away the same the way the original did. Sam Bathe from Fan the Fire. That's That was a positive review. With Bay under pressure to squeeze as much content into two and a half hours, it was inevitable that some elements of the formula wouldn't work. That's from Dragan Antilov from Drax Blog Movie Reviews. Those some elements are all elements. Even the score was shit this time. I was listening yeah. out, I was like, okay, right, you know, but at least the score in the first one's really quite catchy. Is it going to be good in the second one? Just it, the only bits that I was like, oh, that's quite good, are just literally just bits from the first score. Yeah. Doesn't even have that. I read a, a Slash film, uh, film website I go to a lot. I actually have a good description of the Transformer films. The Transformer films, or at least the three sequels to Michael Bay's first film in the series, uh, disregard story concepts left and right. Characters are secondary to spectacular, uh, sorry, to spectacle, geography, and time are subservient to the impact of beauty shots, uh, standard uh, narrative, building blocks regularly fall by the wayside. That's about all three of them, really. Hmm. Bayformers 2 is a mess of story, loosely glued together with lame jokes, fighting pixels, and Megan Fox's ass. Interjection, they're polygons. 
<laughs> that was Mike Edwards from What Culture. That was actually a negative review. Mostly, it's Punch Your Face Loud from Jeff Mayer's Metro Times. Again, that's a negative. I've, I've run out of positives. This one uh, is currently sitting at 19%, which means it's only 1% higher than Transformers 4 Age of Extinction. Are you finally swearing off these now, Neil? Yes, I'm not doing it. I'm not. I can't. I cannot do it. Maybe that's it. Maybe everyone going to see, like, three didn't, like, sit down and watch two again on DVD first and remind themselves, oh, yeah, I hate these films. I had absolutely zero interest to see four. Uh, I still won't pay to see it. But I had even decided not to watch it if it came on Netflix or other free opportunity. But Movie Bob kind of made it sound watchable, which... I'm very torn on because I, I really like what he has to say about movies. Let's see what Mark Kermode had to say about the second film. Okay, very early on, the woman... Yes, because you saw the first hour. Yeah. The, the woman, what's her name? Megan Fox. Is Drake... No, Drake? sorry, can I just say, Megan Fox. <laughs> exactly. A real treat. Megan Fox. I would say, while Mark was saying that, he bent seductively <laughs> over the leatherette armchair. So why is it that Megan Fox, when we see it... Megan Fox... <laughs> Is bent over a motorcycle in very yeah. short shorts. What what is that about? Well, this is I mean this is I have to say essentially at the kind of the heart of my problem with the whole Transformers thing. Because look, okay, originally Transformers, as you know, it's a toy. Here's the thing. Here's the plot of the toy. Car turns into a robot, turns back into a car. Okay. So there is a Transformers movie. You know, there's cartoon Transformers. I mean, it's a, it's it's a kids' toy. And I have no problem with that sort of thing. That's absolutely fine. And then what happens is they decide to update Transformers and they say, okay, let's make it uh, let's make a huge, big, enormous Transformers movie. And therefore, what we can have to do is we have to maximise the, the the audience. Now, essentially, as everybody understands, the Transformers audience is, you know, uh, young boys who want to watch robots hitting each other. That's absolutely fine. It is, it's a kid's toy product thing, okay? But in order to make the sums add up for the new Transformers movie, what they have to do is to say, okay, well, let's, you know, let's add an element of uh, stuff that will attract the teenage audience. And effectively, what Michael Bay has done, I've said this before, um, Michael Bay is a, is a filmmaker with a pornographic sensibility. I mean, everything about the way the Michael Bay film looks, he's like, whoa, hey, whoa! Look, car, whoa, look at that car, whoa, that robot, whoa, that engine, whoa, eh, eh, whoa, that Megan Fox, eh, whoa. Is and he from Croydon? Pardon? Is he from Croydon? Everyone who says that is, is from Croydon, fine. So that's, that is essentially his filmmaking sensibility, and that's, that, that's how he's done it. So what they've done is they said, okay, so let's, we'll make the Transformers movie entirely like that, with the whole look of the film, the whole sound of everything about it, will just be, whoa, eh, whoa. Robots! Now, to some extent, I, you know, I can kind of tolerate 90 minutes of people going about robots hitting each other. What bothers me, and it bothered me in the first Transformers movie, and it bothers me even more, and this may just be to do with, you know, rampant political correctness on my part. I don't know whether I missed a meeting. Or at exactly what point it became completely acceptable to make a movie that's essentially aimed at young kids that has such a leery quality to it in terms of its uh, the, the way that it looks at the female character I mean I'd I say female characters I mean I think even using the word characters is overstating the way they're used when we are introduced to, to Megan Fox as Simon quite rightly says she is you know draped over a motorcycle the bit that you miss is then that the, the rest of the movie has exactly the same aesthetic there is one moment in which uh, Shia LaBeouf sleepy la beef snoozy la pork goes to um, goes to, to, to college where his college incidentally appears to be entirely peopled by the population of Maxim magazine and uh, immediately he is pursued by a young woman in a short skirt 
who the uh, whose short skirt the camera follows in a paparazzi-like fashion. And Michael Bay actually makes a plot point of doing this. I, I don't want to support, spoil the surprise if anybody actually wants to go and see this. But it's almost like there is a science fiction plot point for the leery way in which the camera follows this, you know, this, this, well, I say, you know, she's meant to be a college student, but obviously she's actually a 35-year-old pole dancer, probably. And so what bothers she's me... not 35. Whatever, not Megan Fox. But what, so what bothers me is that you can no longer just make a stupid action movie with robots hitting each other, which I have no problem with at all. That's absolutely fine. What you do is you crank it up to, to get as far as you can get within the certificate that kind of just, that, that will give you the biggest possible audience. And somehow it has become acceptable for that kind of movie to have the most leery, the most absolutely Neanderthal, the most, I think, reprehensible and rather sad attitude to the way that it looks at those characters. And you see this, I mean, Michael Bay has produced a number of uh, horror movie remakes in which this very same quality is evident. So I want to be absolutely clear. Yes, the film is mind-bendingly terrible. It is incredibly long and incredibly loud and incredibly boring and nothing happens very loudly about a hundred times. Okay? So all those things aside, and the, the, because of the way that the, the, the robots are now animated, to be honest, you, you know, you, you, you neither know nor care which bit of, of robot tree is hitting which other bit of robot tree. And there's, there's some weird sort of backstory about why the Transformers are back, because as we know, we thought they'd gone away. But essentially, it is robots turn into cars, turn into robots, start hitting each other with added war all the way through. And I'm sorry, but I have now got to the point that I have lost patience with this. And I think it's not enough to just say, this is rubbish and it's not. It. It's actually time to say, no, enough is enough. We really cannot just embrace a world in which this is now being given to us as essentially middle of the road, multiplex. Fair. It's not good enough. It really isn't good enough. And I'm, I'm quite serious when I say this. It's not just that it's a bad film. It's that it's a film with a rotten heart. The only thing that's at its heart is a big ringing cash till. And it is like seeing somebody just getting a, you know, a, a, a towel which has been sort of with money in and just squeezing the money. And literally you can just, you can hear the cash registers. They go, okay, we're hitting all the points. We're doing all this stuff. We're doing as far as we can get away with in a way which has no artistry, no invention, no wit, no nothing at all. It is just there to milk the money out of the largest possible audience in the most cynical, most dreary, most boring possible way. I hated it. Do you know what's worth fighting for? There's a bit at the end where Megan Fox is hugging Shia LaBeouf and she's got this smile on her face that kind of says, just a few more hours, just a few more hours I can go back to my trailer and be out of this horrible photo shoot. I never want to come back here again. And somehow they roped her back in for Turtles. Anything else on Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen? Did anybody else find um, the portrayal of Shia LaBeouf's reaction to having all of this code and, and symbols in his head a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah. They seem to be deliberately setting it up as uh, something like epilepsy or... Um, some kind of autism spectrum disorder or something along those lines. Or OCD. And then like when, severe OCD. And then when he goes completely over the top in the class, the tutor's response is basically, how dare you have a mental breakdown, get out of my classroom. Yeah. 
These whole it's, films are starting to make me feel uncomfortable if you think about them for too much. Well, they're not designed for you to think about them for too much. We're working against the grain. We're not even supposed to really talk about them. That's the rule of Transformers is you don't talk about Transformers. You know, the, but this, they charge you how much to go and sit in a cinema screen for two and a half hours to be fed stuff that is purely designed to keep you in your seat and busy for two and a half hours. I can stay home for two and a half hours and masturbate for free. <laughs> I got that bombshell. <laughs> Sharon just dropped the mic and walked away. <laughs> that I, was it. I, I think that's wow. a showstopper, folks. Uh, we'll see you next week for... Transformers 3, Dark of the Moon, and then we're done. I ain't with Transformers 4, <laughs> not for years, until it's like a penny on DVD, folks, or on Netflix. That's it. Not spending anything. Thank you very much, Neil Taylor of Game Burst. I'm, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I'm sorry, Neil. I made you do it twice. Twice. <laughs> Once is bad manners, twice is my own stupidity. To explain, me and Neil were going to review these films, uh, all three together in one podcast about six months ago. We, we watched the first one, we watched the second one, we watched the third one, we couldn't even start. By the time we got to the third one, we did, we just had no energy to- And trust me, watching these films back to back is even worse. Yeah. Did you guys go to see a doctor after that? I think that there's long term effects. I, it's, it's a violation of the soul. Uh, Mike Hearn, uh, do, do you want to tell us a little bit about your webcomic since you're uh, brand new on here? I, I, I kind of really haven't showcased your abilities yet. I'm oh, sure. Get you back on for something. Sure, sure, yeah. I, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on, by the way. No problem. Walter the Wicked is uh, is from the villain's perspective. He's the titular character there, and it's kind of imagine, probably the best way to sell it is imagine if Q from Star Trek uh, mixed with Pinky and the Brain in a medieval setting. Nice. I will just say I, I did quickly earlier flick over to What of the Wicked and the the the, the one about the Greens I thought was quite funny. Thanks. <laughs> that did make me chuckle quite quite happily. It was funnier than anything I just watched in Transformers. That's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> you will laugh your ass off if by comparison to any single one second of even the highest comedy in Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> Dogs humping giant robot dicks. Okay, enough, enough, done, done, done. Let's all go and masturbate. <laughs> I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And wash your hands first. <laughs> Neural handshake, handshake complete. complete. Transformers. Dark of the moon? Dark, dark of the moon. Our entire space race of the 1960s was in response to an event. If you breathe a word of what you've seen here, it will do time for treason. Everything humans know of our planet, we were told had been shared. You lied to us. You've made a grave mistake. 
from now, they're gonna ask, where were you when they took over the planet? You'll be fine, I promise. It's over. I'm sorry, but it's over. your faith in us but never in yourselves from here the fight will be your own <sighs> my name is alex shaw and welcome to the jackasses still reviewing the transformers movies with me as always is sharon shaw hello and our guest is neil taylor of game burst hello I have a theory that Transformers gained its foothold in our collective consciousness not because of the cool toys, and they were cool, not because of the striking promotional artwork depicting shining robots fighting in space, comic books of different continuities written by true fans on either side of the Atlantic, an entirely different storyline in Japan and the ever-present commercials always dangling the next bot before our eyes. Those things were all key, but my theory is a far simpler, more elemental reason. The Transformers theme made us feel sad. In just a few bars, it spoke of a people that fought on against immeasurable, insurmountable odds, who would probably never succeed to see the home and the peace that they craved. Combine this with the performance of Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime, and you have something truly powerful, despite the silly robot shenanigans throughout. Cullen was instructed in his audition to play the role bluff and jingoistic, a flag-waving patriot barking orders like Tommy Lee Jones's Chip Hazard in Small Soldiers, a film that parodies the Autobot-Decepticon dichotomy being abused to flog toys superbly. Instead, he channeled his brother Larry, who was a soldier in Vietnam, and delivered his lines with grave conviction, never allowing his temper to show and controlling his tone in the way that Larry had done on returning from the war. This speaks of a soldier who has already fought long and hard and reserves his ferocity for determined action on the battlefield. It suggests enormous potential strength. It was Prime that kept the Transformers TV show alive through two extremely successful seasons. The third, now without Optimus, withered away as fans mourned the loss of everything they loved about the show, epitomized by the enormous vacuum of presence and charisma that Cullen left behind. After a brief return at the end of season three, designed to sell Power Master Optimus Prime, the show had a three-episode-long mini-series labeled Series 4 and shuffled off. It seemed natural that Cullen would return to the series, but for 20 years, it went back and forth without him. Generation 2 was little more than reruns, with Optimus interstitials. Beast Wars swapped him for a gorilla. Robots in disguise, Armada, Energon, and Cybertron were all anime-style, and he was absent. Transformers Animated, which debuted in 2007, the same year as the first live-action film, went for yet another Optimus voice and a different prime altogether, young, unsure, and very much like Rodimus in Season 3. So really, when Optimus turns up and transforms before Michaela and also Sam in the first movie, this was the first true return of Peter Cullen's character, at least for the long term. 
one so key to the series' true heights of mass popularity that it's astonishing to think of the 21 years they wasted not doing this since the first animated movie. I can assure you of two things. One is that if the leader of the Autobots had been a scooter named Scooter, voiced by Gilbert Gottfried, we wouldn't have had four live-action movies with at least two more planned. Two is that if the writer of the second, third and fourth movies, Aaron Kruger, had ever sat down and listened to that theme tune, really listened to it, let the smallness and sadness and inevitable absence of true victory at its core, coupled with loyalty and friendship and refusal to give up nonetheless, speak to the grease stain he calls a soul, he might comprehend how very wrong everything feels in how he delivers this. The positive critics excuse these as big dumb fun, but they're only fun for a few people. What we're the most angry about is that it's not fun at all for the rest of us. It's just big and dumb, and those two together equate to a colossal waste of time and money. The, o- the, only, the only reason it balances out at all is because so many people attend for different reasons, either because they do find them fun, because they're bored enough to blow ten bucks and go on a dreadful, unbalanced and mistimed theme park ride, or because they hold out hope that This time, there will be some shred of something real, something human, or even something more than human found within. I'm just going to go ahead and go out on a limb and suggest that every one of our listeners who's going to see these movies every time is the latter. They're they're the dreamers, the hopers, the brown coats. In which case, I ask you one more time, please stop feeding the beast. These films actually seem to be getting progressively worse, with the target demographic aging along with the series. The first film was aimed at 15-year-old boys desperate for a car and a shag. Or even for her to just... Just look at it! Look at it! The second is aimed at 18-year-old frat boys desperate to escape their horrible parents and get their grubby hands on some college strange... The third is aimed at jaded 20-somethings, seemingly angry at a world that owes them a living and doesn't see them as a special hero. I don't know what the fourth one does, so please do explain it in as much detail as possible on the forum, because it's going to be a long time before I can stomach one of these again. You'll notice that Transformers barely figure in where these are aimed at at all. They are incidental additions to the plot, a way to toss giant robots, gun-toting soldiers, government agents, conspiracy theories and rampant totty into the lives of some despicable demographic that I pray is smaller than the marketer's estimate. These three films aren't about the Transformers. They're about a selfish little boy and how he eventually claims to be a fraction less selfish. We see no real evidence of this, but there's little else to conclude. What's worst about this third one, however, is that they turn the quiet, battle-weary soldier of Optimus that we all know and love into a twitching, murderous sociopath with no verbalized conflict, no development of character, and no discussion of ethics. Prime is facing the invasion of Earth by his own species, one he must conclude is a grave danger to the human race. This fight is not black and white. Our enemy is led by a defector. Two of my Autobots are prior Decepticons. Allegiances can change with perspective, and no one deserves death without a chance for redemption. But time has run out, and I find myself wrestling with my allegiances. 
Where does the line lie between traitor and hero? I ask you all, must every one of our people die to protect a species we have adopted in absence of our own home? At least that's what he should have said, because we don't get any of that. He just turns up muttering something along the lines of, We will kill them all. And then goes and smokes a whole pack of Marlboro Reds around the back of the Willis Tower, while a lot of human soldiers take back Chicago, turning up for a brief rocket pack escapade, and then at the finale, to sickeningly murder Megatron, tearing his spine out. Then... As his mentor lies pleading for mercy, he shoots him in the head, execution style, and stands staring over his fallen comrades, spouts a quick platitude about not forsaking us, and that's the end. The prime I know would be broken inside at this point. The actions I'm seeing are more in line with a crazed veteran who's been allowed one too many tours of duty and may finish the battle collecting Decepticon ears for his new necklace. It's worse than the second, because there's absolutely nothing to redeem this heartbreaking violation of one of the most enduringly beloved characters of all time. Kill him if you want, make him lame, color him all the day-glow hues of the early 90s, but don't make him perform horrendous acts and pretend that that wouldn't affect him in ways we need to know about. This third film is despicable and it gives me less than zero pleasure to review it for you now the fact that it made 1.1 billion dollars at the box office just about puts this on the level of a cybertronian war crime so you guys got your good and bad lists that would imply there was something good (laughs) i was gonna say do i need one also, can we point out these films also constantly prove how fucking useless Sam is? He is. Oh. Uh, he's not just... He's so selfish in this one. My God. Oh, Everything Jesus relates Christ. back to him. What about me? How do you think this makes me feel? Nobody gives a fuck! Premise when we first meet Sam. Let us feel sorry for Sam, for he has no job and is struggling, and he saved the planet so many times, yet he has a supermodel girlfriend. He had the government pay his university bills and is living in a fabulous, well, maybe not fabulous, but he's living in a very spacious apartment in Washington, D.C. Which she pays for. Which she pays for. Which is fine. That's a fine situation to be in. I concur. I relate. But he says, it's not fair. Life's not fair. You see, I I should have been king. And you (laughs) shall never see the light of another day. Adieu. Sam does, he does kind of epitomize the, uh, it's not fair. You use that term so often. I wonder what your basis for comparison is. He's, Okay, the it's thing. The beginning that, of a journey where you've learned to be less of a shit. He, exactly. He, like, he doesn't really. We don't see him learn anything. He just says at the end, I've just been such an asshole. Yes, you have. But the thing is, he says that, but he does sod all to change that, not through his actions anyway. He has. Um, there's a moment when uh, Francis McDormand says to him, You're just a messenger. 
Yes, exactly. He is just a messenger. At that point, she is supposed to be the horrendous face of authority that is basically saying to Sam, you do not deserve to be special. You do not deserve to go around with a, a medal around your neck saying, I am unique. I saved the world. You're supposed to just merge in with the rest of your generation who has to put up with a muck job and just getting on with their life. And um, Carly has said to him in a, a speech which I can't describe it as wonderful, but it does actually give her character a fraction of a dimension for a bare second before it then gets stepped all over again. Um, when he's talking about uh, the things that he's done and that he basically wants to go out and do them again because he feels useless and he, or, or not he feels useless, but he feels like he's, I don't know, talents aren't being utilised correctly. What talents? Exactly. What can he do? Carly comes from a military family and it seems from the conversation that she has with Sam at that point that her father was killed in action. And she uh, says to him... I think it's meant him, to be a brother. Oh, is it a brother? It's I do apologise. I thought it was a father. Well, Either way, they're talking about Sam's medal and she says this, you know, this relative of hers who's, who had loads of medals from their military service, do you think we'd rather have had his medals or had him back? And then that heartfelt moment just disappears because Sam goes, no, I'm going to go off with John Turturro and do more big hero crashy bang stuff. That was and cribbed from uh, Google Hunting, by the way. Minnie Driver says the exact same thing, only it's not medals. She just says, you know, you don't, I, I'd give all of this money back just to have him back. Hey, today. I never said it was original. <laughs> but, but it's the only thing this film's got going for it. Come on. You're going to allow it anything. Allow Is that, that your good pile? That's, that's the good pile. It's a very small pile. Um, and then... As I say, Francis McDormand says it's about you, you were just a messenger. Now, if the rest of the film had been about Sam accepting that, then I could have got behind that. And I'm sure some people will argue that it is because he says at the very end, no, I'm just a messenger. And then saves the whole world by but, doing a thing. Well, it, what he does is fairly minor in the grand scheme of things. Ultimately, it's Bumblebee who saves the situation by knocking out the right thing at the right time and um, shooting the right thing at the right time and somebody else crushes one of the pillars. But it's the the incongruity between standing up proudly on a mound of, of uh, broken Autobots and hands on hips saying, I'm just a messenger. No, because you're still trying to be the hero. And he's just not... And he's terrible and he's horrible in this. He's so selfish and he's so self-obsessed. And poor Carly is just trying to do her job and care about him and look after him. She is going way above and beyond what the average girlfriend needs to do for somebody at this point. And all he does is spit it all back in her face because it makes him feel, what, inadequate? Is it, is it, is it doing things to your erectile ability, Sam? You know, cause heart bleeds and all that. They're horrendously Just... incompatible, by the way. He needs someone who will smack him up sharp. Yes, indeed. And it is a great shame that, unfortunately, Michaela couldn't continue to be a part of this story. She was um, mean. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of Warrior mean, goddess. Indeed. Uh, Forget uh, about it. Many things that Carly may be. Warrior goddess, she is not. And bless her, she does 
Well, I was going to say she does her best with the... I mean, the material in this is even worse than what Megan Fox was given to work with. That's because it was... This one's entirely devoid of Orsi and Kurtzman. Basically, I suspect they didn't have actually all that much involvement with Transformers 2 because it doesn't seem like a human wrote it. No, a human didn't write it. Aaron fucking Kruger wrote it, and I can't stand him. And, you know, I don't want to just, like, go, you know, let Michael Bay off the hook here. He's still demon spawn. But, yeah, no one ever seems to mention Aaron Kruger. And uh, Oh, I remember him because he he popped up in another franchise I quite enjoyed and spoiled the third in that one. Which one was that one? It would have been Scream 3. Ugh. He's, d- he's done nothing good, ever. I, th- I think I have the biggest, I'm the most embittered and have the biggest vendetta against writers because so much, so much of the importance of, of how a film is brought across, it's down to director, but it's, they need the building blocks of the script and so many shitty scripts get through. I don't know how. And it seems al- almost like basically the most connected writers get to write them and they're abusing their positions with this shit. Well, the thing is, he gets work because of commercial success. That's what studios look at. He's wrote, he's wrote Transformers 3. Hit it, but 1.1 billion. That's what people will see. Because you have to remember with these films, these films are a triumph of commercialism over any artistic ability or integrity whatsoever. Well, uh, uh, Kermode said from the very beginning that uh, Bay directs with a pornographic sensibility. I think that just pretty much defined uh, what you just said. <laughs> it, uh, uh, no artistic merit causes sexual thought. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, it's a slight difference between me and you. You, you know, sometimes I, I will acknowledge a film can be created for a consumer sort of point of view. Not all film is art. But oh, yeah, no, no, I'm not, that's not a requirement uh, for me. I love Ninja Assassin. Oh god, that's but it ain't awesome. art. <laughs> it's awesome. But the point is, there are still people out there that do have the integrity and do produce some fantastic pieces of work. Yeah. But then, it, then you see people like Aaron Kruger in this, and you're like, oh. I suppose it bothers me the most because I, I'm, I'm a writer and I want to be a successful writer, and it, it, it just it can't not bother me. How could it not? Uh, let's go to the good because I've got a small good pile. Uh, the thing I notice with all of my good pile is that. It's a good aspect, but then it's wasted. It's a, it's a better score than uh, the uh, second one, which was just a rehashed version of the first film. Uh, it's uh, Steve Jablonski again. But some of the best moments, the ones which really stand out, are copied almost wholesale from The Dark Knight. <laughs> it's astonishing. The beginning where it goes... That's immediately after the Joker's finished his bank robbery. And then um, the bit near the end where it's like sort of we're going to... It's the, a Dark Knight bit from the very, very end of the Dark it's, it's It's almost like Hans Zimmer should sue, but at the same time he copies himself all the time, so I guess it's part of the call yeah, for someone else. You're a, if you're Hans Zimmer, 
It's okay to copy yourself. If you're not Hans Zimmer, it is not okay to copy Hans freaking Zimmer. I'm fairly certain Steve Jablonski may be one of Hans Zimmer's protégés like uh, Harry Gregson Williams. He seems to uh, compose from the heart. I will give him the benefit of the doubt in that his score for one and three um, have very moving moments. It's just that um, this third one, as I said, that the, the high points are cribbed. Um, it's nice to see Optimus Prime's trailer. Was it in the second one? I don't think so. I can remember. Although absolutely nothing comes of it. I believe he carries around some soldiers in it, and then at the end he sort of goes down the street with it on his back, and then it's it's knocked aside by sound uh, shockwave. Yeah, opened out into what I thought was some kind of transportation gate, but then he just locked on some guns from it. If it had been a space bridge type thing, that would have, or ground bridge, whatever it was called in Prime, that would have been cool. Yeah. That would have been actually an interesting idea. Make it something. But, yeah, but again, nothing came of it. Nice to see Frances McDormand. What was she doing in this film? Good question. And she's totally wasted as well, because, uh. God, isn't she? I said last episode that I knew, remember Tim Robbins was in it. Tim Robbins wasn't in it at all. What am I talking about? <laughs> he was in Arlington Road. I think I'm just remembering Tim Robbins as the president in Austin Powers The Spy Who Shagged Me. <laughs> And like I said last time, John Malkovich, why were you here? My Alan God. Tudek, why are you here? John Malkovich. I, I, uh, what did I say John Malkovich looked like? Uh, John Malkovich looks like a tango-addicted hobgoblin. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Um, it's nice to hear Leonard Nimoy. Sharon even commented, my God, his voice sounds fantastic. And it did. And when he started to develop a relationship with Optimus, it was like, this might actually be going somewhere. Maybe, maybe I forgot that there was an, oh no, complete, no, just complete. And then, and then. Do you remember the bit that made me go, what the actual fuck did they just do that? Would that be the bit where he just, oh no, it was the bit where he says, Don't. Uh, the needs of the no. man. No. He, he, he. No. Abuses the line. No. From yes. Khan. No. Yes, he really does. I remember when that ha- happened in the cinema. And I am not someone who guttlery acts very often. And my line in the cinema, which I got in a little bit of trouble for... Dark of the moon, my ass. He said that, and my response was, Fuck off! Is that it loud enough for an usher to come and shine a torch on you, Neil? Sir, my children are here on their birthday. Yeah, that was the kind of thing. There was kids around, and I realised, and yeah, it was a moment of, oh, shit. But that that was, You forgot you only allowed one fuck in a PG-13, and they already wasted it saying, fucking awesome. Uh, Who said that? Um, It's when someone walks into the something... Actually, you know how we said, like, Malkovich and Tudek was one of you? Actually, there's a bigger, what the fuck are you doing in this film, of all films? Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, Buzz Aldrin. And, uh, what did it actually say? The, uh, where's the, um, oh, there you go. Buzz Aldrin. And Francis McDormand had to chew out the line, one of the first two men to step foot on the moon. It's set foot on the moon. She would know how to say that. But, of course, that's all she got given. <sighs> One of the first two men to step set, to set foot on the moon. Uh, it says step foot in my script. Y- yeah, but that's... Forget it. I don't want to do an awesome wells here. Right. And the last good 
by and large, it appears to be a lot more humans taking back their world. I actually approved of that, the idea of like humans versus Decepticons, and you know, we've got to be able to fight back and have our own strength rather than just using the Autobots as a shield. But then Prime, ranting like a psychopathic soldier who's been in the ship far too long, still finishes the fight. It's all about him taking down the two big guys. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just surprised that when Sentinel Prime was lying bleeding to death on the ground, he didn't just sort of mumble up at Optimus, you have been and always shall be my friend, Kadoosh. So that's it, basically. All of the things that I liked about this film were completely wasted. That makes it worse than Transformers 2, because at least um, Revenge of the Fallen had a few things in it that actually weren't completely ruined and spoiled. For example, the addition of Soundwave. There was nothing that sort of took that away. Um, Optimus Prime retained his character throughout. He got killed, but that meant that they couldn't mess with him. And when he came back at the end, he still retained that, I suppose, purity of character. I, I don't, you know what? I don't even mind that Prime did all that stuff at the end. I can understand that that would happen in war. But the aftermath of that is like the most fascinating aspect of what we've just gone through and like what it took to, to lead him up to that. And then at the end, like everything that's important about that was not there. And I think it's not that it wasn't there because they didn't want to complicate things. I think it's not there because they didn't even think about it. And that is the most galling aspect. Style over substance. Yeah. Anybody else got any goods? Um, um, um. <laughs> I don't even go, um, there is no good in this. There is nothing redeemable about this. Is there? I mean, I could say that Rosie Ferdley Whittingstall or whatever her name is, um, is not, uh, her character is not quite as useless as I was expecting, but I'm really, really looking for there not to be something utterly worthless there. Um, mostly she is just there to be leered over. Yep. I miss Megan I mean, Fox. there's, there is, right, okay. There is, apart from the fact that her whole, her character is introduced with the shot of her ass. Just her ass. At least when you got the shot of, uh, Megan Fox's ass draped over the motorbike in she was Transformers it. 2, you could actually see all of her. You, you just get, the arse for this and then the legs um and then eventually you know the, the area the above the arse model that comes and drapes herself inexplicably over the undeserving Shia LaBeouf um grotesque and... little scuzzball that he is <laughs> well no I mean even that's a terrible thing to say actually because it shouldn't come down to a matter of deserving or not why is she in this movie why is she acting at all her delivery is shit bless her she tries but her delivery is terrible it's so bad i can't believe a film of professional supposed quality that takes 1.1 billion dollars couldn't spend some of that 1.1 billion dollars on somebody who knows how to deliver a line i've actually just seen something that's depressed me more about her oh to this day she had one acting credit which is this film 
She now has two. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2? No. Something I was actually looking forward to. She's playing a character called Splendid in Mad Max Fury Road. Oh dear. I'm sure what you'll get of her in that is mostly her arse, Neil, so I, I wouldn't worry too much. Um, but there's a, there's a point where they're... I can't remember whether they're driving into the military base or something like that. The guards come to the car to talk to them. They shine the torch into the car straight onto her breasts. You're welcome, lads. And hold it there, just to make it absolutely clear what everybody is supposed to be looking at at this precise moment. Although that's it. Actually, no, I find it good. I did like the line, no, that's my car one bumblebee turned up. And his little, I actually kind of like the little, where he chewed him out for the, hey, you're on a secret mission, I'm not trying to take it away. You can't even write. I actually chuckled at that. Oh, wow, I did find something good. Okay, I'm done. I think I need to lie down now. Right, I've got a bad list here. It's a mile fucking long. I mean, what are we on now? 33 minutes. Do you, do you guys want to do your bad things first? Sound to speak. I'll just go off yours because, you know what? One thing to add in. Bad list. The run time. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, um, it's longer than 2001. Uh, I would rather have watched 2001 and I can't stand Stanley Kubrick. Oh, I thought you meant the year, not the film. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's just go through the bad list because it's huge and I want to do it as quick as possible because I think I'm done in Transformer Country, at least unless we review Prime. Number one, stupid title, Dark of the Moon. Good grief, we want to be as close as but not actually pay to use what everyone else is thinking right now. It doesn't even make that much sense either. I mean, the, the, the dark side of the moon really only factors into it a bit. Yeah, it's just basically the location of the crashed ship. How about just Transformers The Invasion? Yeah, Transformers that would have... Three, The Invasion. That would actually be snappier. Yeah. Also, but... timeline makes no sense in this film. Oh, yeah? Right, so at the start of the film, we see Sentinel's Prime... Sentinel Prime ship being shot at by the Decepticons, also which makes... of which makes no sense. But, and that then crash... The way it's edited, it looks like it's shot, jumps into hyperdrive and then crashes on the moon. Yeah. Yet we know that, and it's later said by Megatron that they were going to run, him and Sentinel were going to rendezvous on Earth. Yeah. But Megatron got stuck on planet Earth how many thousands of years ago? It was a long time ago. He was definitely there a hundred years ago for, you know, bearded... Wiki. Um, Whitwicky, Robin Williams-looking chap to see him with his... Did we mention the fact that that's not how glasses work, by the way? No, but that is not how glasses work. No. Yeah, it's, it's, it's glass. It doesn't store information. It's glass. <laughs> anyway. Also, if you switch sides, why is the... Why are they shooting at you? Just to, to preserve that particular, it doesn't matter. They they aren't even thinking about it. Again, this is this is sh- shitty uh, screenwriting. Wherein uh, and even some of my favourite films happen to use this trope. Uh, wherein uh, a twist is entirely contingent on not knowing some information about a character, and it's like, well, 
hang on a second, now that I know this information, a lot of what you previously written doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, don't think about that. Twist, twist. The twist. Think about moving forwards, not going backwards. Speaking of which, by the way, um, the girl who plays Marky Mark's daughter in Transformers 4 was Katara in The Last Airbender. So we have two alumni of M. Night Shyamalan films front and centre in the new Transformers. That's hey. going to take a lot of Grimlock to uh, to mitigate. <laughs> yeah, and not good Shyamalan and Ding Dong, Ding Dong ones. Bad ones. It's been a long time since good ones. Um, right, next, the creepy fucking CG JFK face. Yeah, oh, creepy. that's so awful. Every time they attempt to overlay someone's face onto something else or someone else in a film to make someone look younger or older or to put a child's face on a baby or to put JFK's face on a bloke, it always looks like like your brain goes reels back from it and goes, No! To the Just point, use a look-alike! It'll I, be I, fine! I get, I get you want to then cut to Kennedy on TV talking and it's definitely JFK. We're not using a lookalike. We're not going to use, we're not going to cast Bruce Greenwood this time because, you know, why would you want an extremely accomplished actor who's played Kennedy before? Um, and Batman. And, and Batman. But, um, but no, 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 here's how you do it, folks. You have someone run into the president's office and John F. Kennedy is uh, standing at the window and all you see is him from behind and maybe the side of his face and then you do get Bruce Greenwood in. So it's like you don't see him face on until the TV, but, you know, you have someone who's really good at impersonating his voice. In the same way as you got Maurice LaMarche to impersonate Orson Welles using Vincent D'Onofrio's body in Ed Wood. It's a weird kind of creepy disjointed way of doing it, but it doesn't make your brain go, no, everything's wrong there. Yes, you can get the 20-foot giant robots right, but you can't get John yeah. F. Kennedy. See also uh, X-Men 3 and oh, God, that the, was the so end creepy. of X-Men Origins Wolverine and Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. Creepy and the baby. Creepy baby. Creepy baby. Very creepy baby. Right, the line about this is your new lucky bunny. I've mentioned this one before, but it... it objectifies this girl like nothing else. The the horrible U2 song. Is the new 21 Guns. And my God, I wanted the whole film to explode when that played twice this time, not four times. Well, when Sam's in the White House and it flashes back to that and he's just met Obama... Which they do use a lookalike for. Which is fine. Just use a lookalike. We don't expect you to get the actual Obama or JFK in. That's mental. Sam's mother says, what a gorgeous box, referring to Carly. And she means the box, but at the same time, she's talking about Carly's vagina. (laughs) Objectified, as she is, as a walking set of sexual organs. That's just horrible in so many ways. Later on, she talks about her son's penis and the possibility yeah. of whether it's large or not. And I just, uh, these parents wearing their green tracksuits because it's funny, not because it's what people would do. It's, you can get, you get the robots right in these films. Almost, sort of, but you could just about believe that they're alien insectoid robots, especially when they're led by Prime, but you can't get humans accurate. 
Because real humans won't. So we need character. They character drove, chores. They went out of their way to make these like multi-plane, multi-plate, incredibly complex transformations. And it's like you know what? These things wouldn't be all boxy and colourful like they were in the uh, in the eighties. We're bringing it to real life. Okay, then deliver us real people as well, please. Because that's kind of that's if nothing else the backdrop to which to lay these robots on so that we buy it. You're absolutely right, and I can't think why it didn't crystallise as well for me before, but yeah, if they can't do realistic humans, why the fuck should we believe the robots? I do believe the robots, because a lot of the people doing the voiceovers commit to them more than the humans commit to their roles. Yes, that's true. I just thought of something else I liked in this film, which you're probably not going to disagree with me, but... I liked Wheelie and Beaver Spot this time round. I don't know why. <laughs> I called him Beetlejuice Spot. <laughs> it's Beaver Spot. That laugh when he turns up, I was like, Beavis? I, I think it works either way, actually. He, it does work, but Beetlejuice. those two I actually quite liked. Wheelie was less obnoxious in this one. Did I think kill? it's because he wasn't humping anybody's leg. Yeah. And he didn't call anyone a bitch. I think, but yeah, he just toned down. The, a little bit of the evil had dribbled out of him. Uh, the, Probably the, all over Megan Fox's ankle. Mate, <laughs> oh. Get some tissues on that. Um, uh, this is just a tiny thing, but um, Shia LaBeouf goes into... Uh, the exposition in this is... I mean, there's clunky exposition, and then there's thunk, clang. As you know, my shitty parents will be here tonight. But uh, no one near sure as di- a shitty explanation or Transformers having sex. Who's that guy from Grey's Anatomy? Patrick Dempsey. Patrick Dempsey. Dempsey. He's the worst. When he basically explains to Carly for no other reason than so that she will then forward it to the authorities. This is the space bridge. You set these things up. The red one's the weak spot. Let's hope that weak spot doesn't get hit. <laughs> Why the fuck would you say that? Why so, did anyone else think of that information? Did anyone else just realize the minute Patrick Dempsey turned up in this moment? Oh, yeah, he's going to be evil. Yeah. Spock was on TV, ha, ha, ha. Or in foreshadowing. Yeah. Optimus Prime has allowed the American government to turn the Autobots into the Ultimates, as in they, they go around the gro- as in they, they circled the globe, invading small countries and just pushing around any indigenous peoples who might uh, stand in their way uh, while they try to stop terrorists. You know what? I would have killed Optimus to hear Optimus say, Do you have a flag? <laughs> And this is, I suppose, an extension of the uh, nest thing in uh, 2, but it seems like it's, it's something that maybe our Prime could have said, this isn't what we were brought here to do. Just have Prime not entirely comfortable with uh, with working with these people anymore. Just also, you know, if you're going to have, like, a super secret organization that goes around doing certain things that consists of, you know, giant, massive robots, why are you hiding them in the middle of a city? Would not say a a base in a mountain out in the middle of in nowhere. The yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Make, make more sense. Yeah, or in the middle of the Hoover Dam again. That level for modern warfare, the Chernobyl bits. Yes, there. Pripyat. Uh, the same endless twisting, spinning metal shite in place of actual action again. Basically, once the metal starts twisting and the bots start going through the air and Sharon you pointed out that ev- all three films have some sort of twisting robot that goes under the ground it's Scorponok in the first one it's Devastator in the second one and it's it's uh, Shockwave it's, in this one well, it's not really Shockwave it's a separate bit isn't it it's, it's I sat there going well someone's read Dune then Shockwave and it's hey Sandworms you hate him right 
I hate him as well. Yeah, Tremors I was thinking of. Yeah, more, yeah, more. Tremors, tremors. Dune, yeah. Beetlejuice, all apply. Um, John Malkovich, again, Jesus Christ, how creepy and horrible is John Malkovich in this one with his teeth? Um, John Malkovich has been in some bad films, but he's also been in some cracking films. What's he doing in this one? Oh, I remember, yeah. I think this is one where he was having a little bit of trouble with the tax men or something. When we get to Patrick Dempsey and he shows off a car, Carly's draped over it and is like, check out the curves on this car, chaps. Look how sensual it is. Look at the tits on that. Yeah. You might as well have just said, we get it, got it over with. We you know, when Jeremy Clarkson has more subtlety than your villain, you're yeah. in trouble. Then there's a series of really disturbing murders on Laserbeak's part, who, by the way, doesn't actually seem airworthy or like a bird. In fact, he seems like not an airworthy bird anyway. He seems like a pheasant. Like he's flapping about the place like he really belongs on the ground. Also, how many transforming fo- multiple forms did, does that guy have? Because I know we talked about triple changes way, way back in the good Transformers film. Yeah. This he's- guy at one point is a pink Autobot. Yeah. A copier. A, a computer. A CD player. We didn't even mention Ravage in the second film, did we? Oh, no. Because he's there and gone. Yeah. He serves no purpose apart from later on when Bumblebee sort of does that weird thing where he strips him. I used to be terrified of Ravage when I was a kid. Not now. Speaking of terror, around about the Laserbeak murder time, I spotted a picture. (laughs) And I realised that Ken Jeong, Chang from Community, and I thought, Chang is going to happen, and there's nothing I can do to stop him. And Sharon, you'll attest to this. Basically, I started having, like, heart palpitations and remembering what was about to happen. It... Just suddenly, the, the discomfort of knowing that many minutes of my life were going to be taken up by this scene again. And I'd actually blotted it out of my head, but then suddenly I was there again. Ken Jeong, playing a scientist named Jerry Wang, corners Sam in a restroom and physically forces himself upon the panicking boy in actions that basically constitute sexual assault. For no reason whatsoever, he appears to want information but behaves like a rapist toilet golem for an excruciatingly long time purely because it's a cheap laugh. Audience guffaws. I know who you are. With me, Nicky. Nicky. I know who. I'm talking to you. Excuse me. Thank you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, Tiger. You showed up in the background. Six different photos, two continents with aliens. That was you in Egypt, huh? Right? Because you know the aliens. See ya. Too much, I. I'm Wang. Deep Wang. Deep Wang. You're not getting it. Deep throat. Watergate? Talking cold to you! Damn it! They watch and listen. I can't go to the government, but you, you can. Because shit's going down, son. It is code pink, as in Floyd. Dark side. Why do you think no one's been up there since 1972? You're just speaking English. I just, it, it's a very strange English. That's why I'm not... Oh, oh, don't. I'm gonna hit you. I'm gonna hit you right back, son. It's my manifesto. They're wagging us out. Before that, we get a bit where Carly steps out of a car, and we pretty much, uh, like Michael Bay is squatting in the gutter, filming up her skirt. You're welcome, lads. 
This is just before uh, Sam goes mental again and says, what about me? What about me? Do you see how this affects me? And I started asking myself, is this vanilla sky? Is it actually, is the world actually going to revolve all around Sam? Does everything stop and start at his convenience? You are not a beautiful and unique <laughs> snowflake. You are not your fucking khakis. He is his fucking khakis. And he then is. Sam goes to the bathroom and meets Deep Wang. No. Deep Wang, Deep Wang. <laughs> the bathroom atrocity. What, what was that tweet I sent to you? It, it, it just says, Deep Wang, kill me or something like that. Kill me, please. Kill me, please. I'm just, I'll, I'll check it because I, I retweeted it. Why is this in here? Why? Who wrote... I mean, obviously, Aaron Kruger wrote this. Why did he write this? A bit of uncomfortable comedy, and it's cheap. If you took the uncomfortable comedy and the pointlessness and the drama that's not actually drama out of this film, it'd be an hour shorter. I tell you right now. You could have got this film done in an hour and a half, and we're back outside. I don't know why it wasn't. It's a simple movie, really. The Decepticons invade, and the Autobots and humans get rid of them. That's it. That's all that happens in the film. Mm. Never thought I'd miss Bob Orsi, Alex Kurtzman, and Megan Fox quite so much. Oh, dear God. But I did. So miss Megan Fox in this film. I did. <sighs> I, I, I uh, truly am sorry for any negative things I said about that. Megan Fox was good God compared to, to her replacement. She was so much better. Yeah. There was stuff going on, even if it was just little things. It was it just added to her character. She was trying to own it. And well, you know what's really funny? You can tell that this was still written with Michaela in mind because it's its replacement that convinces Megatron to get involved in the first place. Because Megatron's having a sit and a sulk. Yeah, Megatron yeah. is sitting and sulking. Ugh. I I would actually this scene. I think Sharon, you went, ugh, too. But I think I kind of liked it because it showed that Carly had an, a bit of chutzpah. It wasn't enough to get it a good point, but it could have developed, you know, Megatron actually talking to someone rather than just going, rah. However, he went to actually crush her, but she was protected by leading lady status. It's like a shield. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam should have died at the end of this. You know, I'm just a messenger, and he saves the day, but dies in the process, doing something, giving the supreme sacrifice, and doing something unselfish for the first time in his life. You know, he's not going to be used in the next Transformers films, so why not just kill him? That's you, know, you can't kill Optimus Prime, not permanently, but you can sure as hell kill the actor you're not going to bring back. That struck me really hard this time, actually. For all that he goes on about how much he admires Optimus Prime and how much he respects him uh, and how impressed he is by who he is and what he does, he sure does spend an awful lot of time ignoring everything Optimus is trying to teach him about self-worth and sacrifice and honour and, uh, you know, other putting others before yourself. Yeah. The end of the first one where uh, Prime uh, says, you've got to ram that cube into my chest. It's a sacrifice worth making. Um, th- that sh- that should have come full circle. And uh, and Sam should have thought about how Prime suggested that in the first one, actually was killed defending him in the second one, and thought, well, it's, it's my turn now. I've actually got to give everything 
for this and for, and for that to be Sam's. You know what? That actually would have rescued a lot of this film for Sam to actually realize that. And, and do, I know it's kind of like this, it's part and parcel with the hero thing of, you know, you have to die in glory and then you'll be remembered forever. But it's better than just what they deliver, which is not much of anything. But he's the hero and the hero can't die. But Maybe he's they were not afraid the hero. Want to go see a film that had a downbeat ending? Yeah, also true. He's not the hero, and that should be the message. Financially speaking, they made the right choice because it would have made less than one point one billion if people had been like, "Oh, I watch a film to make me feel good about myself." To have the Transformers constantly tell me what a brilliant race humanity is. To never have Optimus say, "You know, there's some things I don't like about your race." Yeah, the Transformers fall into what is referred to as new Doctor problems. Because he's always going on about how brilliant we are and, you know, kind of crosses over the whole negative thing. Yeah. You know, at least in um, Fifth uh, fifth Element, there's the whole scene where yeah. Lilu um, basically goes into an existential malaise because she sees how terribly we treat each other. Yeah. It takes love to actually bring her back from that. I love that film. Um in fact, weren't we talking about that the other day, Sharon? It was basically it's basically Die Hard for Kids. Yes, although you said Corbin has a lot more emotion to him than uh, yeah. McLean ever does. John McLean would just let Lilu die and humanity with her. <laughs> go, I don't it's think he would. I think that was a bit harsh of you to say. He'd go, oh, fine, I fucking love you then. Anything to stop talking about this fucking awful film. Why is Alan Tudyk, one of my favourite actors, playing a repulsive homosexual stereotype? He's spying for Joss Whedon. It's the only possible explanation. Is the correct answer. Why is Bumblebee a tank now? Pass. Uh, every the plot demands transformed. so. Like, uh, he was driving along at, at super speed and like all these guns popped out of him and then he transformed. Same spinning through the air, metal shite, this time on a freeway. That reminded me of the shootout in Bad Boys 2. Only that was much better. <sighs> Sentinel Prime just goes evil and caps Ironhide because we were... We were... Actually, someone's come back to on this. Yeah. Why is it, if you're not any other Autobot other than Optimus and Bumblebee, if you're given a personality, that means you will die. Ironhide gets more of a personality this time round. You get the, 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 the mad scientist one, who is it? Y- yes, yeah. yeah. They both the sort Irish of get. Chap. They sort of get personalities in this one for what? Oh, that's what I'm going to call personalities. They get sort of trained, executed, and then they get killed. Both of them executed. It's like, well, we can't kill Bumblebee because he sells lots of toys and the kids love him. We can't kill Optimus because they're <laughs> already. Oh, let's just cap Ironhide. Well, still, it's you know business as usual. Ironhide's going to buy it. <laughs> And, and notice, they didn't just, just kill him. For some reason, Sentinel's prime gun, and I think this is the only time in the film that it does this, shoots rust, for want of that way. Yeah, he rusts and rots to death. Yeah. So yeah, Sentinel prime just goes evil and caps on her because we were never going to win the war? Sorry, what? He was always going to defect? There's no conflict, no characterization. there's just good and evil, and evil people just want... To those who, I think it's described at the beginning by Art Prime as those who dream of tyranny versus yeah. those who seek freedom. It's just that divide. It's either freedom or tyranny. There's nothing in between. Oh, I found out what uh, Cybertronians who were not Autobots or Decepticons are called after reading some of the comics last night. Nails. Mm. Non-affiliated indigenous life forms. 
which uh, is actually has something of a stigma to it. When Autobots use it, they actually get quite a lot of aggro from the rest of the bots on Cybertron going, yeah, well, just because we didn't want to perpetuate a war that's been raging for millions of years on our planet, you, it, you basically the equivalent word for us. The Decepticon Autobot War is basically World War Two if it went on for millennia. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like, but that, by that ranking, that does make Optimus Prime Churchill, I guess. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Some of the uh, Autobots, including uh, Hot Rod, are uh, presumed dead, and Bumblebee suggests they have a funeral, and is reminded by Prowl that if he does so, 80% of the planet won't give a monkeys, and 10% will be actively hostile. So it's not going to be a popular funeral. That's how small the Autobots and Decepticons should feel. They've mm. never given that much scope in the movies, and very rarely in the animated series. Yeah, the comics do I think it's the IDW ones do a good job of um, expanding a lot of the universe and lore more. At this point, Sam's mother starts talking about her son's particularly large dick. Then there's more horrible insect Decepticons. Then there's scheming Illuminati fucks led by uh, Patrick Dempsey and his... Then there's tentacle porn. Then there's really strongly hinted tentacle cybernetic rape hinted at by Soundwave upon Carly. Yeah, that bothered me a lot. Then Sam acts like a maniac around... um, I I put Arlington here, because that's basically who Francis McDormand was playing, with no repercussions. That's basically... He he does like a a somersault over the table around a bunch of... Are these guys NSA agents? There's something like that. They're trained analysts. They would freaking notice this. Yeah, they would notice him slam onto the table with his back and flop down beside their, their boss. Basically, within a second, there would be four guns on him because it would look like he was going fucking nuts. But no, nobody, like, everyone just goes, ah, guess it's nothing then. And then he meets um, Tyrese Gibson, who goes, what the hell is that watch? You're going to let go of my hand? I guess that's nothing then. And then he just carries on. Everyone must avoid this, talking about this special watch. Uh, did you do you recognise which um, episodes? It's a double episode. Uh, the uh, plot of the the Autobots getting shot off into space was from. I can't remember the episode title, but I do know it. Yes, because they go through it in G one. It was Megatron's master plan from season yeah. two, and uh, yeah, um, basically the Decepticons frame the Autobots, and then they get shunned by the humans and sent off in a uh, spaceship. But the Decepticons have had it programmed to send them into the sun. And then uh, the uh, humans embrace the Decepticons and throw them a big party. But then the Decepticons invade them and the Autobots come back and save the day. That's what the end, the last third of this film is based on. Yeah, the funny thing there is as well. Okay, the race is called the Decepticon. <laughs> That's a really trustful race, isn't it? It's like trusting the Ferengi. Well, we're called the Gullibilicans. <sighs> We probably are to the Decepticons. It's a nonsensically small spaceship, though. The, 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 the ship that it's got a, a shuttle attached to it. But do you know how much rocket fuel it takes to lift a gram of matter out of Earth's atmosphere? Oh, it's somewhat ludicrous, isn't it? It's, it's a massive amount. It's ridiculous amounts. And imagine, like, imagine those enormous rockets designed to, to fire three people in a tiny capsule up into space. Now just chuck a bunch of Chevys and motorbikes and a, a fucking Mack truck in there as well. Just for good measure. Yeah. It's, it's too small a ship. Also, Not that it makes well, any fucking difference. Also, well, you know, when we watch a lot of these films, you know how often... And I'm sure they've actually said this in the films before. I think like, when they were the whole Sam thing. What happens that we don't negotiate with terrorists kind of thing? 
Oh, we totally would negotiate with terrorists if they're Decepticons. And they're, they're, they're being so trustworthy. And we can't think of any other way of getting out of it. And making you think we've killed all the Autobots. Then the Cybertronian army of bastards invades and shoots up Earth slash Chicago, because I don't think they were really doing this. I mean, there's lots of sort of around-the-world things, like they're probably going to shoot up Machu Picchu as well, so everyone around that area is going to be running. No, I think it is just Chicago, because when you see the trailer for 4, there's that great big billboard that says, Remember Chicago. Oh, right. Okay. So, So, yeah. Just random thought. The Wreckers. Yeah, those guys. Horrible Scottish and Irish stereotypes. Yep. But they're NASCARs. Yeah. Are we, are we going for the two for one there? I think uh, this is because there's a lot less racism in this one than there was in two. Uh, and so I think, really? <laughs> I think they're going out of their way to, um, uh, to try not to just do black people are funny anymore. And they're going to go for soft Oh, I object. Like the Objection. Yeah? Uh, the, for that one soldier who I think I made that comment and then suddenly uh, Sharon made that comment and suddenly he started acting like a twat. Yes, I was about to say, the guy that was going on about that, I'm having a heart attack in the fried chicken thing. Yeah. The guy with the rocket launcher. Uh, I so prayed would jump, fall out the building. Then there's an utterly tedious protracted series of action sequences impossible to engage with. And it's alarming how superficially similar to the alien invasion it is to the one in Avengers. As I said before, the space bridge, the giant flying centipede things. Only you're not really with the Avengers. There's almost no Transformer action in this final battle. It's just sort of stuck with the humans. So it feels more like Call of Duty. And like, when you are with them... Really get, like Call of Duty. And when you are with them, they get caught and then... Well, one of them gets executed. Oh, the, nice. the bots? Yeah, the bots. Well, first of all... That bit where Bumblebee's, like, kneeling down, about to be executed... Then there's a distraction and he breaks out the gun and shoots everyone. Right. That exact scenario could happen with disarmed soldiers... But if you've literally got a gun in your arm and you've seen a friend of yours just get executed, wouldn't you at least try shooting your way out? Yeah, you're going to die either way, so go out fighting. It doesn't work if you've got a gun in your arm. Hmm. Uh, There's nothing at stake here. If, If you Basically, if you allow yourself to be killed... It, it, it literally that scene exists. Oh, oh, Bumblebee might die. Bumblebee. Oh no, he's safe. That's False it. stakes. This film is littered with those. <laughs> then uh, there's the uh, the scenario of Cybertron being brought right next to our planet. Oh, you know like, what? I, 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 like I close enough to touch. I groan there, but I think that actually happened in G1. Yeah, but that's that's crazy cartoon logic. Yeah, it's slightly more acceptable. You yeah. have a, tra- you have a, you know, uh, uh, you have space train. Yeah, this is a <laughs> you can put the concept of physics on hold for yeah. a moment. This is a one where they've actually sort of tried to apply to physics, and you know, you're supposed to only tra- turn into robots that, uh, sorry, cars that are exactly the same size as you, and things like that. Gravity doesn't work like that. Here's what would actually happen if you put a planet about the size of Earth right next to Earth. Everything on the same hemisphere as that planet's face would be ripped up and flung into orbit as the gravitational forces yank against them. 
it, frankly, the two planets would collide as the two gravitational forces worked against each other. Mm. It would destroy both planets. It's insane. Yeah, it's not playing Paul uh, with planets. It would make more sense to bring the planet close to, say, Mars. Or basically just destroy Mars and put Cybertron there in its place. Basically to adopt, to, um, to hijack its orbit. Therefore, yeah. If for a long term thing, I mean that, that was just off the top of my head, but you could explain that to a physician, they go, well, no, the, the forces of the explosion of Mars itself would throw the galaxy off, but I suppose it sort of makes a bit more sense than just bring it in like a pool ball right next to the Earth. <laughs> With planets. God, we're referencing so many bad stuff than this. Yeah. And then, yeah, Carly called Megatron a bitch, and Optimus butchers Megatron tearing his head off, and it's further proof that Aaron Krug was a soulless little shit, and that's it. That's the end. I mean, By the way, you know that scene? Didn't you just want the voiceover from Mortal Kombat to go, Fatality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say flawless victory, but he got his fucking arm cut off. Yeah. Anyway, the the abuse of the needs of the many speech, just like uh, with you early, made me feel ill around this. <sighs> that, 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 one of the most iconic fucking lines from Star Trek to one of the most iconic movies of that franchise. Let's just throw use it as a throwaway line. It's not just that's <clears throat> just a throwaway line. It's the fact that it's being put in the completely opposite context as how it was originally used. Yeah. It's supposed to represent somebody sacrificing themselves so that the the greater good can be fulfilled. Not somebody sacrificing an entire planet so that his small selection of beings can continue to live. (laughs) It's not a line to be used about fucking genocide. Because that's what we're talking about. That's what the, uh, the Decepticons pretty much are trying to perpetrate. Well, Indeed. I, I think they were saying that the, the humans were going to be slaves rather than uh, um, exterminated. But, it's, it's but I'm, I'm still... assuming Age of Extinction, they go straight ahead and go, oh, these guys aren't going to be made slaves, let's kill them all. It's still technically the needs of the few outweighing the needs of the many. There are fewer Transformers than there are humans. There are definitely fewer Decepticons than there are humans. There might be a lot more nails than there are humans. But they probably wouldn't want the humans to be exterminated. Hey, they'd probably be like, oh, hey, alien life. Let's, you know, get on. They're all pink and squishy. <laughs> I get, Ew, I, I just stood on one. <laughs> in all seriousness, bringing Cybertron uh, into Mars's orbit and replacing Mars with Cybertron, maybe through some sort of space jiggery pokery, would be... You know, a, a good, like, moving the plot on, you know? Like, like that's now the, the our solar system. That the actually kind of- would almost work if they could come up with some kind of quantum explanation that basically meant you had to, you could bring Cybertron into orbit around the sun, but you had to switch it out with something of equivalent size and mass. Yeah. Orbital wobble. Bang, yeah. I've solved that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I referenced something far worse than this film, but sod it, it was what, worth it. What's that? Island of the Source. We do oh, not talk of that, that one, ever. C- can we finish? Yes, I should please. please. <laughs> okay, I just realised there is at least three good things that came from this. Oh, Jesus. Because of, the, because of this franchise would be yeah. better. Okay. Okay. Transformers Prime. Yep. 
Which is a fantastic animated Although, series. Transformers Prime was cancelled because of Transformers 4, because they wanted to make sure that the toys on the shelf were all for the new movie and not to do with this TV show. Which is a shame, but it's still, it was still a good series. Although Robots in Disguise, the new version of it, is technically a sequel, so it actually knocks on from it. So, silver lining. Cool. And the other two would be High Moon Studios, War 4, and Fall of Cybertron games. Yeah. Again, they're linked in with uh, Prime, and uh, certainly... I mean, yeah, basically... Um, Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime again... That is a good thing. That we that that's the thing that can be salvaged from these movies. That uh, that there there are various moments, specifically as I said, the first time that 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 uh, Optimus transforms. That's the first time Cullen comes back properly, and he's been here for seven years since in regular appearances. The yeah, he's kind of got his retirement plan sorted, hasn't he? Yeah. And uh, I, I know he deeply cares about the role, and I'm fairly certain that what happened in 3 would have troubled him. But not so much that he didn't turn up in 4. Um, oh, so the other thing that I suppose is, 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 has come good from these is that it gave Marvel the template for Avengers. They were like, right, this is the bar we've got to not only hit, but surpass using this template. Basically, they deliver us the same build-up to climactic battle that you know, for 45 minutes in a city as this film. And as I said, it's, it's the other way around because it's entirely focused on the, uh, the dynamic of the team themselves and they care. Their main priority when they hit uh, New York is to try to get people to safety. See, that is the one with uh, something else, because you know, we've had stuff like the Avengers that now that have shown that you can do this formula much better and in more interesting ways. I'm really hoping that this is going to start to see the drop off of the Transformers films because people are going to sit there, they're going to go, you know, I mean, by th- but we're now at the fourth, se- you know, the fourth film, the third sequel that people are going to go. Any of those that maintain that little shred of hope that these are going to get better, finally learn. The fact that we've got Avengers that have done this in so much better ways, mm. you know, hopefully we're going to see the drop-off. I don't know how well Thor's doing. I kind of don't want to because I'd probably find it depressing. But I know the reviews have not been good for it. It's down again, to 16% right now. It's actually technically the lowest scoring Transformers yet. Well, hopefully that might, as horrible as it sounds, let it rest. Maybe a reboot. This was supposed to be a reboot. <laughs> I think if it makes only 700 million, the same as the first one, they'll still keep going. They'll just lower the budget. That's how it works. Or does it work like that? It used to work like that in, uh, back in the day. Maybe they'll throw more money at it. Hard to say that these films, they don't, <coughs> it's odd. When you look at these films compared to others, they, they don't seem to work the same way. There seems to be some sort of special math and logic that it, maths and logic Thank that you. is. Thank <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get shouted at. You know, that seems to be applied to them, you know? It, it is really weird. These films are critically panned. Yeah. Absolutely critically panned. Mauled. But they still keep making them. Mm. Whereas something that's, I don't even want to call it a cool hit anymore because I don't think it is, but something like Dread has only is still struggling to get a sequel. Something like, um, uh, was that, well, only a few, was it last week, week before, that it was finally announced that Pacific Rim was getting a sequel. Yep. Yet these films that have been critically panned got one. All right, maybe it's the box well, office. Money matters more than critical acclaim. It's, it's the blockbuster 
uh, market. It's it's not really about getting the fact that blockbusters can get fantastic reviews is in itself a you know it's not new because Jaws got fantastic reviews as you said the first blockbuster Star Wars everybody loves Star Wars everybody loved Empire Strikes Back. It's not necessarily new, but to be a real film, to be really fantastic, and to get hit this scale, it it was relatively unheard of. So it's kind of like it's. Uh, we've said this though. It's the marketing. If the mm-hmm. if the people who are selling the films, not the people making them, not the people watching them, if the people who are selling them can explain them in a short, to the point way that ticks a certain number of boxes, and they get it you know just enough attention to get everybody in in the first week of release then they do gangbusters and that means that they will be greenlit to make more of the same thing it what's in the film doesn't matter it could simply be michael bay swearing at the audience for two and a half hours if they knew how to market it and it got enough people in to come in and sit and watch it they'd make more of them he'd probably just put jiggling titties there instead I don't know if it was Michael Bay swearing at them. That technically be an art film. Michael Bay's art film. Michael Bay's meltdown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we saw that. Was it Samsung? That was funny. I'd like that. Um, But as long as they carry on being successful, and they're successful because they know how to market them, not because of what's in them, he's laughing all the way to the bank. He's got no reason to change the way he does things. He can kid himself that people actually like what he does when that's nothing to do with it. People will pay to waste time in a cinema in front of what he does. I don't think he worries too much about whether people like it or not. I think he, he, he knows there are certain beats he has to hit to just deliver people what they want and clearly they want it Hmm. well people want porn people pay for porn despite the fact that it makes them feel empty inside and hideous afterwards they will continue paying for it okay so uh, on the wank scale are we going to go ahead and say that uh, transformers 3 is not as good as a wank and it's clearly miles behind a pacific rim job And on You've that been bomb- sat on that one, haven't you? <laughs> Literally. Oh. And on that bombshell, thank you very much, Neil, for enduring all of this shite. Again. And, Again. And thank you very much, Sharon, for uh, being my running mate through this, because uh, I don't think I could have done it alone this time. I, I just... I, I've never seen transformers 3 before i don't think i've seen transformers 2 before i'm not entirely sure how i feel about you right now yeah i'll make it up to you somehow we'll, we'll review something good like the lego movie <laughs> review the like yes nice. that'd be better everything that'd is be awesome i have a special announcement to make next week i will be launching my first patreon If you're not familiar with these, it's kind of like an ongoing Kickstarter. Uh, Rather than raising a lump sum for a single huge project, it's a way for people to show their support for artists who are putting out regular work. Extra credits have one for their history series, as does webcomic artist Mike Hearn from last week's show. Now, the ongoing project I'm dedicating my time to is the New Century web series for YouTube. The first season will be adding a visual element to the Cartographer's Handbook, which you may recall I released last year. And the second season will be the new book I'm writing, Continuing the Story. This is something that needs as much word of mouth as possible. So even if you don't donate, please do spread the word on this. 
The way I've put these first few shows together is impressive and effective, and I'm really proud of how it's shaping up, and I'd like people to see this. So tweet it, talk about it on Facebook, every single forum that you're on. Make as many people as you can aware of the New Century YouTube series and its Patreon. Plus, of course, if you would like to support it with a few bucks, there's all sorts of backstage goodies and bonuses lined up, so check those out. More details next week when the Edge of Extinction podcast launches on the Tuesday. And on the Wednesday, the Patreon begins. So make that the focal point of your week. I am powered by fan enthusiasm and Oreos. But I can't buy Oreos with enthusiasm alone. is Bay essentially going we're taking this franchise we are d- pushing the bounds as far as we can in terms of the sort of you know the leery pornographic sense because basically what you all know is women are, 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 are cars and toy they're all the same thing right they're all just things to be leered at and played with and what hey what hey what now there is a moment in the film in which one of the characters I do says, know we're going to hear a clip. In which, well, no, let's not. There is a moment in the film in which one of the characters, one of the little Autobot thingies, says, this is a total cluster. And then it cuts, right? Fruit this cake. is a cluster fruitcake. Cluster fruitcake. Yep. He doesn't say the word fruitcake. This is a 12-rated film in which they use the, the you know, they invoke the word cluster. And in fact, funnily enough, it's one of those moments that defines the film. Cluster fruitcake is a term that has two meanings. One of them is to do with the pornographic film industry, which works on the basis of if two people getting along famously is sexy, 20 people getting along famously is more sexy. It's also a term that's used for military debacles. I think was coined, I mean, I looked this up in the OED and it turns up in 1969 in reference to Vietnam, okay? And it actually set, uses this word in a kid's film. In a kid's film, it actually invokes this word. The last 60 minutes of Transformers is a cluster fruitcake. It is, the final battle goes on for 60 minutes. Now, you now have to start understanding that this is what I'm talking about, endpoints. No editor in their right mind would say that a battle sequence should go on for 60 minutes. It's just because you can't tell who's doing what to who, why, where, what. You literally just sit there and it is, like the, the word that it has invoked it, it is essentially a lot of bits and parts and thrusting and banging and smashing and you don't know who that belongs to or what that belongs to. And every now and then there are great explosions of completely inexplicable fluids and noises of people groaning and grasping. And you're going, I'm sorry. You don't have to be really, really sort of looking for a subtext to see where this is all coming from. Now, worse than that, worse, worse, worse than you know, the, the, uh, the, the sort of the pornographization of all this stuff. Michael Bay thinks he has a sense of humor. What's the essence of comedy? Ask me what the essence of comedy is. I know this joke, but yeah. I'll do it. I say, Mark. Timing. Okay? Nobody, exactly, nobody who does a 60-minute battle sequence has a sense of timing, okay? Michael Bay may be a lot of things, but a comedian is not one of them, and yet somehow he does believe that he's funny. So, 
The characters, the funny characters, the parents making the jokes about self-abuse, they're back. The small little robots who in the last movie were accused of being borderline racist, they're back doing their, you know, comic witty stuff. We've got, you know, the, the Scots, the Scots robot who seems to be constantly angry. The Irish robot who seems to be constantly drunk. We've got the character who's a bit European, so therefore he's a bit light on his feet, maybe. We've got, it's like, and these are Michael, so not only is Michael Bay doing essentially a softcore sex film, what he's doing is a softcore soft sex comedy. Interesting industrial point. The most successful 3D movie ever made in terms of money spent and money made back is from the late 1960s, early 1970s, called The Stewardesses. Tagline, these leggy lovelies leap off the screen and into your lap, okay? And it is a softcore sex comedy in 3D. Michael Bay isn't making Avatar. He's making The Stewardesses. The difference is Stewardesses cost about £100,000. This costs something like £250 million, okay? You finally, therefore, get to the end point of all of this which is he hasn't learned any of the lessons before he's turned everything up you've got the, it's you know longer than 2001 all the rest of it so where does this leave us here's where it leaves us the, mo- the movie will take a massive amount of money it will briefly be used as a tentpole to say 3d is back on track it will be used as a stick with which to beat critics now oh, critics they don't understand anything they're complaining about transforming but they get and then in two years time when the whole thing has gone down when the ship has sunk when civilization has been reduced to some crying weeping wailing child on the side of a you know, river slew of this horrible vulgarization of what was once a children's toy, I want a letter, I want a letter saying, I'm sorry, you were right. Would a text be enough? No. Oh, last point. Oh. Michael Bay wrote a letter to projectionists, right? Dear projectionist, this movie is very important. Now, does in, he have this pompous style of speaking? In American. In the past, Stanley Kubrick used to write to, to projectionists. There's a lovely letter been doing, circulating recently from Stanley Kubrick saying, we spent all this time making Barry Lyndon, the costumes, the lighting, you know, the candlelight, we got le- lenses from NASA, we, you know, the set design, the mise-en-scene, all this stuff. Now it's in your hands. It's very important to you. Please check the focus is right. Please check the framing is right. If you get an, an LP to play in the middle of the interval, please only play side two because side one's got some repeated cues. Please bear in mind that there are little dots and they're wrong on reel three and handing it all over, right? Michael Bay writes a letter to projectionists. It goes like this dear projectionist you spent loads of money putting this equipment in turn it up bright and you go and with that i give you my leave because that is the end point you start with stanley kubrick writing to projectionists asking them to be soft with the focus and you end up with michael bay telling them to turn up to 11 because they spent so much money putting the stuff in and you know what michael when you get to the multiplexes there ain't gonna be any projectionists to read your letter because they've all lost their jobs due to the miracle of digital projection which came about thanks to the miracle of 3d thank you When he made Pearl Harbor I miss you more than that movie missed the point And that's an awful lot, girl And now, now you've gone away And all I'm trying to say Is Pearl Harbor sucked And I miss you Acting schools 